Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a Sunday edition of the pod. We're, of course, going to do our final awards, but if you would like to get the list of all these awards and a bunch of other goodies, Danny has this thing that he's been doing for us for the past six years, the remaining schedule book, where he shows the remaining schedule for all the teams that he, and updates all the results and projections every night here at the end of the season. We are going to email that out to you tonight to our mailing list. You can sign up at nateduncanmba.com slash free. And get our free mailing list. Get a couple of emails per week. We're also going to give you some links to unheralded writers. Discover some great basketball writing that maybe you didn't know about as well. So that's all at nateduncanmba.com slash free. And you can get a little bit of a taste of what you get for Dunktown Prime. But this will be for free, obviously. You can keep up with all of our work as well. We'll also send out updates on our schedule for the old school NBA cast. Which is going to be available now for free on hot mic also we'll do a couple at the start on the old youtube and twitch and stuff just to get you back into it but hot mic the app is where we are going to be doing it now which is awesome the reason we picked them is because they offer a way for you to actually sync up via their app so sync our audio with your tv without having to do a bunch of pausing and unpausing and then you also even get even though your tv is muted you get the game sounds in there as well so this is it'll be our first time trying them hopefully everything works as well as they say it's going to but really exciting technology and now basically there's no barrier to entry if you go on hot mic you can just have us be your announcers for all the games we'll be doing during the playoffs we're shooting for about three times per week during these playoffs so danny let us get started here with these awards do you have any general thoughts on this process and what this year was like as we go through our uh, uh my document is 19 pages <laughs> i don't know how long mine, is, mine is. is only seven um but well well i do i guess i do have some of the older some of like what we had last month in there oh yeah i don't have any mine. of that just in- just for reference yeah um but so i would say in terms of overall stuff i think one of the challenges to reconcile with this year is volume versus quality. I think that that'll come up, of course, very early when we talk about MVP and all NBA and and other things is just that talented players miss time. And whether we're talking about LeBron James or James Harden or Anthony Davis or and, and all those. And so in certain cases, like for MVP, it's about that. And then in other cases, it's, you know, how, how are you going to evaluate what you have? And, you know, like kind of Seth Partnow and I had a conversation on Real GM Radio about context. And I think that that was something I tried to think about a fair amount here. And some of that will also come in. We're going to save our all defense, our worst team, all defense and all actual defensive teams for a, 
for a different podcast. But like that comes up there too. But this year, because of the compressed schedule and because basically almost everybody missed some time, yeah, I had to think about things a little bit differently than in the usual year. No, I agree. And we've talked to you about just the incredible stat inflation. If you're just yes. relying on traditional sets not just the traditional sets of points rebounds and assists but also even like usage true shooting percentage that even is too difficult because it's just impossible you discriminate between Nikola Jokic at 65% true shooting and Steph at 67 and they have like slightly different usage but Jokic passes more just relying on that I mean there's just so many guys with monster stats that it's just too difficult to rely just on that so I mean we really got to dig deep here and you'll see what we came up with hopefully you'll at least understand our methodology here if not totally agree with our ultimate choices so with that let us begin with the most valuable player in the nba 2020 2021 and for me i don't know if you're the same way i ended up sorting this i mean it's a pretty loose one because there are only two of them putting this into tiers and we try to do our awards ballots in the same kind of the same criteria if we could do it and, and at least the same you know number of spots so like mvp you uh, a voter we do, neither of us has actual ballots and a voter would get five slots so I, I happen to have more players in that tier. I will name who those players are. But we always go at least through the minimum of that. And this is really where the the nexus of the quality versus quantity comes into play. Because this was a challenging year. And it, like, I mean, you could go through a lot of important players, missed time. And you have to reconcile that not only within the first year, but also in subsequent ones. And also the greater disparity between the regular season and the playoffs. So my MVP ballot looks very different from my best players in the NBA vote or or rankings that we did just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's a a great way to put it. And also, again, like we talked about with some of the stats, I think the league has never been more talented i mean to talk about probably the top 15 players in the nba i don't think that has ever been as strong as it has been again going back to our top 10 players in the nba and some of these guys have just continued to play even better than when we did that about a month or so ago so I'm ultimately going to go with Nikola Jokic as my MVP, but I will say most people are like, oh, it's obvious, it's over, he's the MVP. In Bontemps' straw poll, I think he got like 85-90%, and probably, if anything, since then, Jokic has continued to cook it, and for a lot of people, maintain, if not widen, that gap because of what the Nuggets have been able to do since Jamal Murray went down. We talked when that happened that that could either bring Jokic back to the pack if the Nuggets really struggled or could be the differentiator to just put it away for him and that would have been the case for me that he just had completely put it away if Stephen Curry hadn't had this completely crazy last 40 days or so with maybe the best shooting streak that's ever happened in NBA history so I have it very close between Jokic and Curry and my ultimate tiebreaker was just that Jokic had played a little bit more and then maybe just a little bit more that the Nuggets had more team success than the Warriors did, as measured, of course, with when each of those guys are on the floor, because they're not responsible for what happens uh, when they're off the floor, generally, uh, unless they're off the floor for longer, in which case that does kind of add up. And so Jokic... That's that's value, is one way of... Right, right. So 
let's just uh well so so let me ask you this danny were those your top two or did you have someone else uh in the number one or number two slot not only were those my top two but that is my first tier is just those two players and a part of the reason why it is those two and not everybody else is that to me everybody every other player is deficient in one of the two arms of it so that's either quality or quantity so there were certain players joel Embiid being a prominent one you could argue lebron james i mean he his quantity is even lower but like that those players they played just as well if not better depending on how you want to quantify a few things but when the difference so like as we're recording this Joel Embiid has played 1537 minutes Jokic has played 2380 Curry has played 2038 that is a series of different like that's that's a a large volume now Curry to Jokic that's you know Curry has played 85 percent of the minutes the Jokic has so that's close that's closer but not necessarily close you know like that's a a big difference so you have those guys and I like to use games too we should talk about that as well I I think for for this especially because you know if you're really good you're going to sit more at the end of games perhaps but and just being available for your team in a game i consider that and particularly also if you're just having like these large swaths of missed time i think that's more damaging than you know if you miss a game here or there so games joel Embiid 49 games Jokic 68 curry 60 and you mentioned what the the minute totals are there so it is an, an advantage for Jokic enough that i think it can break a tie and if they had played the exact amount of minutes i don't know what i would do because and i might end up favoring curry for reasons that we'll talk about um so uh, do, do you want to anything else you want to say about these guys I mean, i've got some more stats i can give and, yeah. and obviously a rationale which probably won't be a surprise to some people who've listened to us talk about Jokic for the last month and a half here i mean so what i think is is so fascinating about it being those two players at the top of the pile is that some of the arguments that would normally be made against either one of them don't apply nearly as much, but in certain ways apply more. So what I mean by that is you can kind of talk about offense and defense a little bit separately for these two because they're both high value offensive and lesser value defensive players. And so for me, like you could, so you get into some of the questions. So if you want to use like estimated plus minus EPM, Curry is now moved, he's moved significantly ahead of Jokic plus 7.5 versus plus 6.7. Uh, I'm trying to, and, and so that is, you know, and part of that is because you know some of these on off stats incorporate that Stephen Curry has extremely limited teammates and he is one of the only players, if not the only player on his team who can like dribble pass. And if you want to include dribble pass and shoot, he is the only player on his team who can do that. And Nicole Jokic, does not have Jamal Murray right now, but he does have Jamal Murray most of the time. And these support players, if we want to talk about Michael Porter Jr. or even some of the like depth guards and everything else, like the support talent for Nikola Jokic is better. And so it is, to me, it is not a huge surprise that the Nuggets offense is meaningfully better when Jokic is on the floor than when Stephen Curry is on the floor. And, and I think that, you know, you could, t- you talk about some of the models that, that, that counter that, 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 that account for that as well. And then you get into the interesting question, which is, okay, how do you want to, how do you want to square this defensively? And yeah, and just just to summarize here before you do that uh, on the offense, Curry in most of these metrics, uh, 538's Raptor, ESPN's RPM. Although that's people tell me that that's got gotten a little squirrely lately with some of the updates. We're not going to rely on that quite as much as as we have in the past. Uh, EPM, which you mentioned, uh, 
but Curry on basically every metric just on offense is number one even on EPM where Jokic is like massively ahead overall over Curry like that a lot of that is based on giving Jokic credit for defense and Curry credit for or or, uh, a demerit for his defense and as I think you're going to start to talk about here I don't buy that conception of these value metrics the idea that Nikola Jokic should get more credit for his defense than Stephen Curry I agree and there are a number of different ways to get into it I mean one of them is okay Okay, what do, how does the Denver Nuggets defense fare when Jokic's on the floor and how big of a factor is he in that success or lack of success? And so this year, I'll use cleaning the glass. I think this is the, the best, the better version of defensive rating because it filters out garbage time, which I think is less valuable. You know, it, 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 it filters out some of what is unnecessary, what is extraneous. And the Nuggets have a 114.4 defensive rating when Jokic is on the floor. That's not great. And they're... Yeah, that, they're, that's below average. That's below around like the 20th best defense. And, so. they're, and their defense is significantly stronger when he is when he is off the floor. Now, a portion of that is that opponents are making threes at a higher rate when Jokic is out there and he's not. And obviously that that is not his fault. Um, at least not mostly. And and normally that's something we say to. But opponents do have a really high effective field goal percentage. And a part of that is because they're making 68% of their shots around the basket. And Nikola Jokic is a significant factor there. And if you want to expand it to floater range, and there's been some allegations that the Nuggets are not getting into the same home cooking as the Wizards. But, you know, you could see that fa- fa- factoring in. And so they've given up more floaters and less in the restricted area. And so... The and and the Nuggets are pretty successful as a defensive rebounding team, and they're not fouling a ton, and they foul a lot less when Jokic is on the floor than when he is off, and there are a bunch of different reasons for that. So if the Nuggets have if the Nuggets are struggling on defense overall when he's on the floor, and when you, we've talked about scheme versatility and everything else that came up a lot in top ten players, you know, to argue that Jokic has been a positive defensive player when the team is below average and they're below average in the things that a center is largely supposed to help in, then th- to me you're it's. It, I'm guessing that the model is giving too much credit for like the single player who happens to be the one who grabs the defensive rebound as opposed to a few other factors. Yeah, and I think it's just when you're giving Jokic credit for his defense, which all some of these models have him as positive, luck adjusted RAPM, which uh, adjusts for shooting luck, and then it doesn't do, but other than that, doesn't do any kind of a box score component. It's just how good the team is when the guy's on the floor versus when he's off the floor adjusted for the quality of teammates and opposition. And, you know, small sample size, especially in this year for, for that. But Jokic is... 384th in the NBA in luck-adjusted defensive RPM. Some of these other metrics like Raptor or EPM, you know, give him like a mild plus on defense and give Curry from anywhere from a mild to actually a pretty big minus on defense. The number, Curry, they're actually a lot worse defensively when he's on the floor this year. Again, I think he's having one of his better defensive seasons personally. Like I haven't watched much to see him doing poorly. He's not as good of a steals guy as he was, but he's also much better as a man defender and not fouling and, and avoiding mistakes. But part of the reason that you're going to give a plus is that basically any center in theory plays a key defensive role. It's inherent to the position that centers can do more defensively than guards can. You know, unless you're like an Ennis Cantor type who's just like absolutely atrocious. And I would say Jokic is just like a among starting centers is probably right about where the Nuggets defenses rank this year, kind of in the 15 to 20 range or so defensively. But it really comes with the role, right? Like, yes, a guard in football 
is a better blocker than a wide receiver is in football right so if you just said all right who we have this advanced metric that just measures how good of a blocker you are how valuable of a blocker you are yeah like a guard is always going to be more valuable than a wide receiver because if the guard screws up then your play is over the guy just goes right into the backfield and ends the possession same thing with your center if he screws up then you're getting a layup right at the rim whereas with a guard yeah okay he might blow his assignment but there's still many other ways to help behind him and more importantly when you look at team building there is an opportunity cost to putting Nikola Jokic at center because it is much harder to surround him with good defensive players than it is to surround Steph Curry with good defensive players you can see that Steph Curry supposedly according to these metrics is a much less valuable defensive player than Nikola Jokic and yet Steph Curry's defense for his entire career has always been way better than Nikola Jokic's defense and that's because of the position that they play you can put guys around Steph Curry to make up for that and there's only so much I mean we've seen this again with even the guys who are below Curry in some of these metrics like Devin Booker is a perfect example right is Devin Booker just so much better of a defensive player now than he was last year when his defensive metrics are terrible and the Suns are good now defensively not really he probably is somewhat better but they put other players around him like as a a one or a two once you move up the positional spectrum this changes your your defense just isn't as much of a component of your value whereas for a center it is and to give to say that well Nikola Jokic isn't as good of an offensive player as Stephen Curry which I don't actually I'm just talking about the metrics here now I I don't actually buy that necessarily I actually think Nikola is probably a more valuable offensive player than Steph Curry this year if if you put a gun to my head but then his defense pushes him over the top when he's a below average defensive center that just doesn't hold water to me like it's about the replacement level at your position and Nikola Jokic compared to some just some random center that they could bring in is probably going to be a little bit worse and you can't really have a great defense with them out there for all these reasons so that's a long rant here but to just say if you're looking at these value metrics and for them to give say all right Jokic's defense puts them over the top I I just don't buy that at all I don't either but Jokic to me he wins the day because I think that the the value difference between Jokic and Curry defensively over the 2020-21 season is relatively small and Jokic and I think the offensive margin is narrow in either direction like you I think that it is a a very tough decision Jokic is a remarkable offensive force when you factor in the the role that he has in the Nuggets offense as a scorer as a distributor he doesn't turn the ball over that much either when you think about how often the ball's in that's actually a positive for both Jokic and Curry especially compared to some of their brethren like that is it is truly impressive like for example Curry and Jokic per 100 possessions per 36 minutes significantly fewer turnovers than Luka um not that that's the reason they've had a better year it's just you know worth noting and but to me Jokic Curry is per minute probably as I see it fairly close to a wash and it's hard to parse out with all of the context stuff in terms of players that have been available and everything else and some of the like weird team construction with the Warriors, like giving Curry a credit because in certain ways because the team doesn't have any other capable ball handler or shooter type guys is is in certain ways. You know, you like so that's why Kyron, why he's been the offensive RPM dynamo over these years is because they've just never had a good backup point guard. But also the offense with him on the floor. But the but then to me what makes it that they're in the same so that's why they're pretty firmly to me in the same tier. But what yeah. puts the biggest thing that puts Jokic over Curry is that let's say it's close either direction, unambiguously both players are positive, helping out their teams a lot. Yeah, Jokic has played meaningfully more, and so even if even if you wanted to say like I, I think it would be hard to say that Curry is sig- so significantly better than Jokic this year that 
15% extra playing time, or if you want to do it in terms of games, 60, 68 versus 60. Like, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot of time that the Nuggets had a stalwart who was the key to their offense out there that the Warriors did not. And you could say, you know, it's it's unfair and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't matter. That's value. Value is be, being there means that your team doesn't have to play somebody else. And so Jokic is absolutely the deserving MVP for me this year. Yeah, I think so. If, if the numbers, you know, if Steph Curry doesn't miss those gains with the bruised tailbone, I think we're talking about absolute neck neck. And also you'd be talking about much closer records for their teams sure. as well. If the, if the Warriors aren't one in seven without Steph Curry, you're looking at a much closer race and maybe Curry wins this in my eyes. Or it would even just go down to these last four games of the season when I actually expect with the Nuggets kind of looking like they're locked into the four and also that that's where I absolutely would want to be if I were the Nuggets because they're going to they avoid the Lakers, avoid the Clippers uh, on that side of the bracket. Maybe Jokic will get some rest on the end. I, I don't necessarily think that would hurt his value, but then Curry, you know, might, might uh, they've got four games left here uh, where Curry could pile up a little bit more. If I want to, I do still think maybe that Jokic's argument is a better regular season offensive player than Curry. You can, we made the argument about defense and replacement level, but I think you also have to make the argument about offense and replacement level because most centers are bad offensive players. They clog things up. Their primary job is defense. So, some of them can, can shoot that's really important and some of them can post up nobody can pass like him nobody can post up like him except maybe Embiid and well, it, very few if any can shoot well and Jokic like doesn't have offensive weaknesses like that's the other you know there are oh, yeah. players who are gifted in certain ways but have things that you can take away from them or ways that you can counter there aren't particularly good counters for Nikola Jokic like put a smaller guy on him good luck that's not going to do anything you want to try to switch a bunch okay have fun with that you want to do and he's such a good passer his passing vocabulary his velocity his reads all of it incredible and another factor that i think is really interesting that isn't coming up enough to me in this conversation and again i'm picking Jokic over curry there is an element of context which is that i think is underappreciated here which is james wiseman which is that there is a general assumption that because most coaches and everything else they're they're going to put the players on their out there with who put them in the best condition to win james wiseman was an active actively negative offensive and defensive player for the golden state warriors and if you need any evidence that you can look at all sorts of stuff i don't need to drag him that will probably come at other times but that is something fundamentally different that that and while Jokic and both guys have had to deal with absences of teammates and everything else like the warriors offense ground to a halt basically when james wiseman was on the floor and in terms of value elevating inferior talent does matter like that's it's i'm not saying it's i'm not picking Curry to win anything like that but having to having to carry somebody who is that active and negative on both ends of the floor but particularly in this case offense because these guys are both offense first players I think it's a part of the conversation that hasn't come up enough well and here I I can add to that as well Curry has a plus 4.3 net rating Jokic 7.5 uh, and the offense only won 13.7 when Steph Curry is on the floor. And that's that's a little bit of a demerit to me. Yes. But again, the context matters here. And so essentially, pretty much any time Curry is out there, he's been playing with two total non-shooters and then... Often three. Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess Oubre particularly at the beginning of the year. But he's come on to be at least a threat out there. But, you know, Oubre, Wiggins, I mean, none. Of, there's definitely... Almost never is he playing with any kind of plus shooter other than himself. And if you look at the minutes 
one of the few times when they actually have anything approaching normal NBA spacing in this day and age, which is when they go with Draymond Green at center. 121.7 offensive rating, which is per cleaning the glass, which is basically like the absolute best you can get. I mean, you, so, can, ex- you can expand yeah. it beyond that. Even just when Curry's on the floor without Wiseman, it's a 120.2. So even with the Looney minutes. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And yeah, Draymond, it's like Draymond and he are kind of symbiotic and kind of not. Uh, I would say more so, but particularly more so when you also don't have another big center on the floor next to to Draymond and, and you've got some more spacing. Here's another thing that I think is interesting about Curry. This is in just in pure raw terms. Obviously, in this high offense environment, you take all this with a grain of salt. Relative to league, he was much better in 1560, and you know so, some of the numbers like his P for example in 1516 was 31.5 up there among the best of all time that's what Jokic is this year as well uh and his true shooting percentage relative to league was a couple of points higher and actually is even slightly higher than it is this year but in terms of the volume this year Curry is up to 34.5 usage it was 32.6 back in 1516 and he's basically just as efficient so just in terms of like volume plus efficiency at uh 66% true shooting for Curry again this year this is maybe the the most efficient volume scoring season in NBA history. And here's another comparison to 2015-16 compared to now. And he's regularly having these games where he's taking like 23s now, which is insane. 15-16, he shot 45% for three. This year's 43, but he's taking even more threes. Uh, If you look at the number of threes that Steph Curry is averaging per game, He's taking even more than he was back in 1516. He's taking 12.6 per game. He's taking games lately where he's like regularly shooting 23s a game. It was 11.2 back in 1516. Despite the fact that his threes per game are up, only 2.6 of those 12.6 threes per game are classified as wide open which is basically like you catch the ball you got time to set your feet and shoot it without having to what a normal shooter would consider rushing or being on the move the degree of difficulty of his shots has gone way up if you the 2.6 threes that Steph takes per game and remember he's taking 12.6 which is number one per game number of threes by a mile those 2.6 is 65th in the NBA in actually open threes wide open threes per game compare that to back in 2016 he was taking fewer threes but 3.5 per game were wide open instead of 2.6 and six of the his threes per game are considered open but the way he shoots if you just watch it you know i would say you're closer to maybe like two of these three of these per game are ones that like a normal shooter would consider like an easy like spot up three where you know and most of those are like off offensive rebounds maybe it's in transition every once in a while otherwise he's open but it's four feet behind the line or he's coming off a screen or he's backing up and and getting his footwork right like it's just insane the type of threes that he's taking like you when you watch teams defend him like even okc last night i was at that game it wasn't like you know they're just doing a terrible job just letting him get wide open threes like you know a couple of times they got hammered on a screen and nobody helped and he got pretty open but most of these are just like every single one of these shots that are going in you're just like jesus christ like like nobody else he's making shots that like maybe one or two guys in the league could make some of them that nobody could make and that's all the threes that he's making are like that this year it's completely ridiculous curry's so i looked on synergy his jump shots off the dribble 1.21 points per possession that is bananas and also exactly the same as it was in 1560 um which you think about the degree of difficulty in the context and and it's it's an amazing 
statement that Jokic, like Curry is having this unbelievable, you know, perimeter offensive season and Jokic deservedly, you know, like he is, he is at that same level of overall offensive impact. I mean, he's doing it in a different way, but he's been absolutely incredible. Uh, So do you, I don't know if you did tears, but do you agree with me that it's kind of those two guys and everyone else? Uh, Yes, I do. And let me see if I had any other interesting stats on these guys here. I mean, I I think ultimately though, like what sealed it for me also with Jokic in addition to the more minutes is what they've done in this crazy stretch after Jamal Murray went down. Not only Jamal Murray went down, I mean, they basically at at points they've had like Facundo Campazzo and then they're starting like MPJ at the two. Like they don't have anyone else who can dribble or do anything other than Campazzo during this period. Like Monte Morris has been out. BJ Dozier is injured now. Will Barton's missed time. Yeah, but yeah, Barton has had this hamstring. Who knows when he's coming back? So they just have like, he's, they've been completely reliant on him. And offensively, they haven't missed a beat at all. It's really been absolutely remarkable. But yeah, let's, uh, the, that is the top tier because I, I think you fall down into this next group where, as you mentioned, like Embiid is number three for me, despite the fact that he's only played the the 49 games. It'll, it'll presumably, they're going to have some time to rest guys, but you know, presumably he'll play a couple more games here, but he, he's going to be, you know, end up 20 games played fewer than Jokic in a shorter season. But I still, despite all the shit that we just said about Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic and how unbelievable they are, Joel Embiid, I think still on a per play basis has been better than either of those guys this year. But it's just the the 20 game difference uh, with Jokic and it'll end up being, you know, over 500 minutes less than Curry, you know, 30% fewer minutes or so than Curry probably in the end. Ultimately, like that's going to be too much to overcome. Do you agree with me though that Embiid still has been the best guy on a per play basis this year? Embiid is my permanent MVP. And I actually, yeah. so I have a group, my, my uh, tier, my next tier goes from three to eight. The last guy I'm a little bit dicey on, but let's say let's say it goes three to eight, and I will fully acknowledge that uh, that within that this next week, I don't think anybody's going to jump between tiers, but I fully expect people to move within it. That's how close this is. Like that's the whole idea is that you can make credible arguments in any direction. Embiid playing a higher proportion of his team's games the rest of the season versus what he did before, which hopefully is going to happen. That that can shift things, and also like I when you can provide the context of the reason the guy isn't playing is because they've clinched their seed, then I try not to factor that in as much because he's already, you know, done the value to help get the team to the point. But I actually ended up, I have Embiid as my permanent MVP. And I remember, for those who remember this closely, in, in the last awards we did, I said I didn't feel comfortable putting my permanent MVP lower than fourth. I have Embiid sixth. And the reason why is just because he played so much less. And I didn't think it was personally fair to some of the other guys in this tier who have been on the floor a lot more. Yeah, Embiid, permanent MVP. And let's just say that him being my permanent MVP will factor in another piece of awards that we will discuss later, which is going to be interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean, his the, what, what makes the Embiid case for me is that... Curry and and Jokic, I mean, we had these arguments about whether they're, you know, a positive and negative, slight positive, slight negative, neutral on defense. Embiid is not as impactful overall as those two gentlemen are offensively. But instead of being an ambiguous on that he is a clear-cut positive defensively at the league's most important defensive position. Yeah, absolutely. The Sixers defense when he's on the floor about a 105 defensive rating some of the defensive impact metrics are a little bit lower on his value but I I think pretty clearly a top five defensive player in the NBA and that's been the case over multiple years I I feel very comfortable with that he still might be the biggest intimidator at the rim 
when he's in position now he's not in position as often as some or he's not able to get on the floor as often as others but nonetheless that's a big part of it. and then offensively he's not far behind no. I mean, if you just look at his his individual statistics 64 percent true shooting highest free throw rate basically since Shaq he's essentially in terms of like usage and efficiency right there with the rest of these guys and then even the offense when he's on the floor right up there but uh better than the Warriors with Curry on the floor not quite as good as Jokic or some of the Nets guys or some of the Clippers guys but also looking at the talent around him having to deal with Ben Simmons and his negative spacing in the half court and really no other proven playmakers they got a decent iso score and shooter with Harris but you know certainly below average I would say offensive talent around Joel Embiid compared to a lot of these stars and to push them to that level of an offensive performance is very very impressive so it's, it's that two-way impact that I agree with you that it probably would be uh, for me the per minute MVP so so I have him third I think he's to me is just so much better than some of these other guys that I couldn't lower him any more than third. Uh, but I do have Damian Lillard as fourth. He really had gone downhill, and then this late finishing kick that's probably going to get Portland up to at least the sixth seed. It's looking like he kind of reassessed things and you know was dealing with a hamstring injury it was able to come back and start cooking it again overall numbers not quite as good just in terms of his personal statistics as Jokic or Curry and I don't think that he has as much of the gravity he's had a much probably I would say not much of a defensive ecosystem around him but a better offensive ecosystem around him even with some of the absences they had because the Blazers always have good shooting out in the floor they always have a good scoring center out there as well they're pretty good on the offensive glass etc so uh, I think he's got a, a better offensive ecosystem than certainly Curry and maybe even you could say Jokic depending on uh what time of year you're gonna you're gonna look at it but uh third in offensive Raptor for Lillard his defensive numbers are terrible but again I explained why I don't put too much stock in that uh, for guards and uh third in estimated plus minus on offense overall 62 percent true shooting 31.6 percent usage and very good offense and and I think a, a team that's and he also has played more than some he's at uh 63 games which is one of the higher guys on this list i think probably the second highest of legitimate candidates except for one who we'll talk about but uh so so lillard i think is here part of that is a little bit more of a volume case and again this is the guy that i, I ranked i think number 10 in the nba but uh, and also his clutch performance as well this season has been a big part of why the blazers are actually gonna be decent this year in the end and and well i have uh... I have a little, a little bit lower, but like clutch performance, you can, there's an element of it that doesn't necessarily persist from year to year, though we all know about Dame time at this point. It is still value he provided this year. Like that was something that came up in the Russell Westbrook MVP argument all those years ago was that, you know, but yeah, maybe Russell Westbrook isn't going to propel this kind of insane clutch success year after year, but it doesn't have to be predictive to be value in this case. I ended up to me, the, the one of the like kind of, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on this, but differentiators for me was I had Luka Doncic over Damian Lillard and a big part of the reason why is because Luca's just insane role within the Mavericks offense I mean so he is 
shooting more shots, you know, 36% usage. So that's, I like to think of usage as, you know, like the shots you take plus turnovers, but also just a crazy assist volume. Luca. Yeah. The, the playmaking usage is probably, I I haven't looked at Ben Taylor's stats on this or, or assess like total usage, but I'm pretty sure that Luca would be highest in the league on that. Yes. And so for me, I, I, that, that was a, you know, a tiebreaker of sorts for me is just that he has a lot to do and he does it very well. And while Luca is a less efficient individual scorer than Lord, many people are, he can help propel the team. And I think that they, they have fewer offensive pieces, even though Dallas, you know, has, has plenty of, of good ones there and they're more dependent. And so yes, Lillard played less with CJ McCollum this year than he would like, than he would have liked to and everything else. But I, 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 but again, they're both in the same tier. I don't want to spend too much time with it. I actually think it might be worth just for me rattling off the players that are in this group. And then we can kind of talk about the ones that we haven't discussed yet. Again, the order matters a lot less here. I did spend time thinking about it, but it isn't as much. They're all in the same group. And so I actually had Giannis third. And my Giannis argument is actually very similar to the one that you made for Joel Embiid. The difference is that Giannis Antetokounmpo played a lot more. You know, Embiid's at 49 games right now. Giannis is at 57. We'll see where that works out. And Giannis, not as valuable as Embiid offensively. You know, he has a big role, but you know, not, not quite the same level of the same level of overall, you know, efficiency part of that because Embiid gets to the line a metric ton and is a, is a better free throw shooter, you know, 86% for Embiid versus Giannis. But also because... Giannis's defensive value is is incredibly high. I mean, not that it is, is low for Joel Embiid, but the way I've described this in previous like defensive player of the year conversations is that the math problem still works for the Bucks when Giannis is on the floor. And the big one of the big reasons why I had Giannis third is because the defense worked so well. And there is some opponent shooting luck in it. It worked. The defense succeeded when Giannis played with Bobby Portis. And yes, in certain of the, you know those circumstances, you could say who's the center and all this type of stuff. But like Bobby Portis is not a significantly he's he's better, I would say, a little bit defensively than he was in his last couple stops. But it is Giannis that is doing the heavy lifting there. Some of those lineups had like DJ Augustine and other limited players, and so in many ways he's not the system like Rudy Gobert is defensively. But to be able to do that with his offensive role, that puts him firmly in this conversation. And as the the two way guy in this, who also played the more, who played more minutes, that's what kind of pushed him third. Because you and I both love two way players. Yeah, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Giannis is, is that high. I, you know, looking at all the one number metrics on most of them, he's kind of in the five to ten range this year, whereas last year and the year before, he was really, he was right at the top five and basically everything that you would look at. And overall, the Bucks have just eased into this season a little bit more. Uh, he's had more offensive talent around him, I would say, uh, this year. I am glad that the free throw shooting is improving. I'm not gonna. I do think he's a little bit less athletic, a little bit less of a dominating force in transition, for example, but playing more minutes per game this year than he did last year. So yeah, totally fine to have him at number three. I think just Embiid has been, and we're talking now between Embiid and Giannis of, you know, an issue of eight games. I think Embiid has been better enough than Giannis. I think it's about a 300 minute difference between those two. I think Embiid has been better enough than Giannis to overcome that 300 yeah, minutes. And, I, and I'm fine with that. I, I have I have them in the same tier, but it's to me that's that's a lot of minutes for me. Like you think about just not having that player on the floor for that amount of time. Uh, my number four is Luca, and we've already kind of gone we've gone through that. Yeah, let, let me talk about him a little bit. I did not have him in my top five. He's in kind of this next group, uh, and he certainly has played plenty. But just the overall offense with him on the floor just hasn't been as spectacular this season. Uh, certainly not relative to the league. I think he's actually got more spacing around him than most 
of these guys i mean that's the crazy thing about this year is that like the only two guys who are top 10 players at least in our eyes when we did our rankings that are on the same team are lebron and ad so that's part of why i think the league is actually gonna be we talked about this in our 2021 or 2023 preview i should say uh is that you know there isn't really that super team that's forming right now and so i think there's gonna be a lot of parity with all these great players kind of leading their own teams uh so but i just don't think that luca is quite at the level uh as he at least in terms of the offense as he was last year maybe if he'd been able to hold on to some of those three-point shooting gains that that started to fall off just a little bit and i think i would have liked to have seen where the mavs would have been if they hadn't gotten totally wrecked by covid this year because since they really got back from that they've been kind of the exact team that we thought and hey they're probably gonna be the fifth seed which after all the shit that they went through this year is pretty good that they're actually gonna finish better than last year and they could even they might even win a round as well that'll be that'll be interesting to see uh if it's denver versus dallas i have to really think about that and see who's healthy before i make that pick so uh lucas just i i don't know there i you could again i i think your your three to eight idea is totally fine um and i think even you know Kawhi, kd and lebron who i didn't have in my top five obviously kd has only played a thousand minutes that's a problem for him but in terms of just how they've played this year like i think all those guys could have had an arden for actually being the mvp if they had played a little bit more Kawhi, give you his stats here quickly did you have him in this group Kawhi yeah yes he's he's eight yeah so Kawhi, a little under 1700 minutes 62 percent true shooting one of the more positive defenders in this group probably behind Giannis and, and Embiid for that and almost 40 percent from three offensive rating when he's on the floor for the Clippers is over 121 12.0 net rating that's basically about as good as it gets when you don't play for the Utah Jazz and you're not Joel Embiid this year so but the number of games for Kawhi is a problem and the number of minutes is a problem he's basically a few more minutes than Embiid uh but only 49 games and LeBron I mean he was I think the last time we did this although he had just gone down with the ankle he actually was my MVP he was a lot of people's MVP early in the process but obviously uh just hasn't played since then the on-off numbers for him were really good when you look at how bad this Lakers offense has been without him to actually get them to be pretty average when he was out there was good but again only uh looking like it's going to be 41 games for LeBron maybe he'll get a couple in here at the end or sorry 43 games for LeBron and that's uh, that's obviously not enough was there anyone else that you wanted to discuss in this I I have one more that we haven't hit on yet I have one more and it's my number five and that's Rudy Gobert yeah Rudy Gobert I so the way I phrase this at the BI I did a little write-ups for each of these which I um and what I said is for those who believe that defense is as important as offense in the regular season you could make an argument that Gobert should be first here because I don't and that's part of why he's second tier for me um but the Jazz have done you could I, I think of Gobert in some ways as the reverse Luka where it's a heliocentric defense and their defense has been phenomenal. I mean, 103.2 cleaning the glass defensive rating when he's on the floor. That's 98th percentile. And the Jazz are dominant in the things that Gobert does best. Their rim protection is unbelievable. Their defensive rebounding, they don't foul. Um, teams do shoot poorly from three in Gobert's minutes, so that makes things a little bit better. And that's something teams can control us. But they're not taking shots around the basket. They're not having success making those shots. And Gobert is absolutely a positive offensive player. He is not as positive as many of these other players. He has a much smaller role within the offense, but he's the defensive player of the year. He is an offensive positive. He has played a ton of minutes and and is has been remarkably durable. And so 
I he is firmly in this conversation to me. And we talked about the weirdness of like you had Damian Lillard, who had 10th. Gobert wasn't in my top 10 players at all. And he's my number five in MVP. Yeah, well, and he's been incredibly durable as yes. well. And, and, and I agree with you about defense generally not being as important as offense due to the higher replacement level on defense. KP actually wrote an interesting piece about this uh, over the weekend saying that the distribution across the league the difference between the best and worst offense is much larger than the difference between the best and worst defense these days gobert you mentioned what it is with him on the floor he kind of turns that on its head a little bit because 103 is way better than the overall best defense but i think you can only get so good defensively whereas offensively you can just push the envelope a little bit more uh, as well and, and as i mentioned the the replacement level but i i go bear probably you know in the seven range or so and I, the fact that he's played a ton of minutes hasn't gotten hurt and when you just look at the impact metrics he's right up there by any of these impact metrics of course driven again by the defense so if you wanted to have him, you know if you want to have him three i would quibble with you five i don't think that i would actually i you know i'm not sure yeah, that, that's tough to say. I mean, to say that like Gobert is a more valuable player than Luka Doncic, I, I don't know if I can quite get to that. Maybe I'm just too much of a traditionalist there. Uh, but certainly rewarding his durability as well in this ridiculous season where durability means more than it ever has, and particularly more than it ever has because you have fewer games and these games mean more now with the, the play-in and well, teams and, being closer together at the end. Well, and the other part about playing a lot of minutes is that Gobert is the system defensively. I mean, Utah's defensive rating is a 103.6. It was 103.2 when I when I did my stats. It's now 103.6. And some of it is, is shooting, but that 103.6 goes to 115.3 when Gobert is off the floor. So if it's a one-man gang offensively or defensively and you're on the floor more, then that means the other te- that your team doesn't have to figure it out as much. And when you think about Utah's personnel and you could, there there's arguments made that this is a challenge like if Gobert ever missed time because Favors hasn't been the guy that they hope for and everything else is that they have to figure it out you have to get in everything else and I did bring up the shooting luck that is important to consider but to me that is value you know like the the idea that it, it is his show they built the defense and the personnel really around it he's done it no one else has that's value all right, well, that was a great 50-minute podcast on MVP. I will be back <laughs> tomorrow with the rest of Well, uh, it, okay. it, it does cover yeah. a lot of ground in terms of our LMBA, though. Um, okay, well, well let's uh, let's get to the centers then. Uh, first team, all, uh, or first, second, and third team LMBA. Uh, first team center, Jokic. Second, Embiid. Third, Gobert. And I don't... Uh, Below there, I mean, apologies to Bam Adebayo and Carl Anthony Towns and Clint Capella. I think that's about it as far as guys that even would were playing at anywhere close to an All NBA type of level. But as you mentioned about Gobert, too, I mean for him to be third when you know he probably is the top ten in All MVP, that's how good the centers were this year. So they're really just in sort in any metric that you're going to look at, there really is just no argument that you should have anybody on those three teams other than Jokic and Embiid and Gobert. But is Jokic and Embiid Gobert? the order that you had i ended up actually going with Embiid over Jokic. it doesn't make a difference in terms of like you know money or as far as i recall it or anything with those guys and i if to get into my difference in criteria between mvp and all nba i am more zealously than you 
my philosophy has always been as long as you meet the thresholds and they aren't always firm, but you have an idea. For me, it is it is entirely about quality rather than quantity. Now, quantity is nice because it can help confirm it, make sure that there's less sample bias and all that type of stuff. But Embiid has been my permitted MVP for the whole league this year. And so some would say, oh, it's weird to have it's weird to have your overall MVP, not your first team All-NBA. For me, it would be weirder to not have my permitted MVP as my All-NBA as long as he's played enough minutes, which Embiid clearly has for this. Like, you know, playing playing that is enough. So I'm fine with people like, I, your criteria is not the same as mine for all NBA. So like, it is a little bit weird to have my MVP there, but Embiid has been that valuable. And I, I wanted to make that distinction this year. Yeah, I understand that viewpoint. I have more of a hybrid view. I definitely do try to reward just who I think the best players were. Uh, and also even to some degree who the best players are in addition to just who provides the most value mvp does somewhat of a different criteria to me but well in some in some ways mvp benefits from having more specific criteria in the sense that like and for example for for the record i don't consider player quality at all like i think it's just about it's the body of work for that season but i don't criticize you for years it's just a difference of opinion yeah i mean i'll use i use that as a a tiebreaker if needed but yeah i think that the well i agree with you on Embiid being a little bit better than Jokic uh per play this year that Jokic has such an advantage that it outweighs it not again not as much as it is a an MVP um and then yeah I think Gobert though because Embiid has been so much better than Gobert even when Gobert has played so much more than that trumps Gobert's additional playing time but center was pretty easy let's do forward now yeah, so forward is probably the clearest articulation of the of the way that I see all NBA, which is that it's most outstanding rather than most valuable. And so my first team is Giannis and LeBron. And LeBron hasn't played nearly as much, but he was damn good when he played. And he played enough, you know, 1,400 minutes to me is, is enough, especially in this 72-game season as opposed to an 82. We, we know how good he was. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter to me necessarily that his injury was the type that you come back from or anything else. He, to me, Le, to me, LeBron has been overall the best forward. And I mean, there are two other guys in this conversation. We might as well talk about all four of them at the same time. The other two being Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. And the reason why part of part of why I went LeBron over the other two is the combination of offense and defense. And while the Lakers defense has kept on trucking almost irrespective of who was on the floor, which is super impressive for Frank Vogel, LeBron has been an absolute defensive positive this year in a way that Kevin Durant has not. Well, I mean, KD, you mentioned you have to get to the threshold. You got to play half the season. He's not even going to play 36 games. So he's he's pretty much would be disqualified for me, certainly in this company, right? I mean, once once you get down to comparing KD to like, you know, a Julius Randle level of guy, then it's like, okay, maybe the fact that KD was just so much better could trump it. But when you're talking about guys that are even closer, maybe even one tier down, like, no, you're pretty much disqualified if you're not even going to get to 36 games in this 72 game season, which uh, KD unfortunately is not going to. A couple of those absences were due to the COVID protocols but nonetheless you just you got to play half the season in my view so I actually had Kawhi on my first team 
And part of that too is that LeBron is, it seems like he may not play the rest of the season. Kawhi seems like he's back now. And the Lakers have free fallen without LeBron. And maybe, maybe that is a, an indicator that he's very valuable, which of course he is. And the Clippers haven't free fallen quite as much without Kawhi, but it also shows you how damaging it is for LeBron James to miss games. If he had played seven more games, then maybe they're not in the play. And ultimately too, you know, the Clippers numbers with Kawhi on the floor a little bit better. I mean, I think it's, I would maybe say LeBron is like slightly better than Kawhi. Uh, like I think Kawhi's candidacy for all these awards has been woefully underweight, underrated uh, all season. So I begrudgingly went with Kawhi on first team. I very easily could have gone with LeBron as well. So LeBron is then on, on my second team. Uh, and you would say, all right, LeBron 43 games versus the 31 and Kevin Durant. Well, LeBron is, you know, six games, 10 games fewer than some of these other candidates. And KD is like 20 games fewer than some of these other candidates. So that's just so much more of a difference. That's why I, I draw the distinction between LeBron and KD. But yeah, you've got me with bated breath. Did you do Kevin Durant, despite the fact that he's going to play, uh, you know, less than half the season? Yep. He's been that good. I mean, I I, it, I understand your reluctance to play. I mean, and Durant is the challenge because it's it's straight up like, does he meet that threshold? Um, And for me, he gets close enough. And part of it also is that I didn't love the cases of the next tier as much. You know, like, it, it wasn't my it wasn't my favorite year. It wasn't like oh, there see, was- that's surprising to me. I think. I think the next tier has been awesome. I think like Jimmy Butler and Paul George, those guys, even Zion, I think those guys are very deserving. They're very, they're very deserving, but like, they're not, it's not like it's insane. It's not, I I don't feel like. In most years, I would feel very comfortable with any of those guys being an all NBA second team player. Like I I think those guys have all been awesome. So that, that's part of why it made it easier for me to, to leave KD off. But I guess you're not as impressed with some of these other guys. No, I mean, their, their cases aren't bad, but like for, me like for example like Kevin Durant has been meaningfully better to me than Zion so like I'm not gonna and yeah Zion missing the rest of the year which sucks but it's you know that is that is kind of its own thing and also Zion not being point Zion the whole year like that game but like Durant I would say off the cuff probably I didn't do all the work on this probably in definitely in the top 10 best offensive players this year arguably in the top five and it's just that that's a that's a hard that's a hard bar to 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 leave somebody off for but i understand why you would so let's let's keep going kd i mean just to to give you an idea of how good kd has been this season 32 percent usage 67 percent treasuring that's even better than steph and he's just doing it with completely ridiculous jump shooting and that's over a 10 net rating when kd plays over a 120 offensive rating when he plays as well and this stat is not this is just more of a fun stat on three pointers with quote unquote tight coverage so that's the defender two to four feet away i mean that's basically what we would look at as like a heavily contested jump shot for most nba players he has taken 73 threes with tight coverage this is per the tracking data and he's made 53.4 percent of those that's unreal the next highest player with over 25 attempts is Bryn forbes and he's made 43 percent of those shots (laughs) it's just bat shit insane and obviously 
being seven feet tall really helps and having that high release really helps and all that but i mean that that is just preposterous contested jump shooting that and yeah that's not going to sustain but even doing that over 73 attempts is utterly ridiculous and i mean he's not getting to the line as much he's not getting to the rim as much even with having a lot of spacing on this nets team he's not really getting amazing separation anymore and it just doesn't matter he's just shooting right over guys it's it's totally ridiculous so uh i so KD was not on any of my teams okay I really struggled with whether to go with Paul George or Jimmy Butler as my other forward and I ultimately went with Paul George this was this was probably my hardest struggle probably even more so than third team the the last guard spot on third team guard which is the other one that I really struggled with almost all these impact metrics are pretty similar and then like for Raptor for example Paul George is six Butler is eight they're all like right in that type of range five to 15 range they've played very similar amount of minutes uh, as well both of them have kind of missed time uh, butler missed some due to covid which uh, george didn't his has been more to in- injury ultimately though i just the numbers with george on the floor are awesome for the clippers even when, when Kawhi hasn't played his three-point shooting i think his off-ball game has been really valuable he's not playmaking nearly as much as butler obviously he's not getting the line but butler just has a few more weaknesses i would say butler's a little bit better than george now defensively I, I think I think time. he is. Um, Neither of them are really as good a man stoppers. George does more getting through screens. Butler is probably a little bit better as a help and a steals guy, uh, just a, more of a physical presence. So you could very easily have Jimmy Butler over Paul George, as we had them. I think they were twelfth and thirteenth. I couldn't could barely decide who I would have a higher in our player rankings I think George though just because of what the Clippers have done this year I've got to put him a little bit ahead of uh Butler and and the Heat and a lot of the Heat struggles haven't been Butler's problem but I I think Butler does have some weaknesses remember for example how now the Heat are taking off since they got Trevor Ariza and he's Jay Crowder 2.0 and he's making threes again but before they got that guy they didn't have a great shooter at the four but because Butler is a terrible shooter at the three now they basically had three non shooters on the floor all the time and their offense really struggled in part because of the fact that jimmy butler can't do as much off the ball so again totally splitting hairs here no arguments to have jimmy butler ahead of paul george but i went with paul george here so uh, to, to, then, but, to yeah. complement kate matters even further i saw this as a three-man argument and the third player that i had in this conversation is zion williamson and to so i end so okay a, a couple other pieces of information that you that you didn't mention not out of you know income completeness but just other things that i that i thought about a lot in this so one is the role within the offense so jimmy butler 27 usage 7.6 assists per per 36 minutes and actually a lower turnover rate than paul george paul george 30 usage so modestly higher but much lower for uh sorry so he's at uh 5.6 assists per 36 minutes and zion kind of a blending between the two zion george's passing is underrated actually it's underrated but he doesn't get enough credit it's underrated but it's also not something he does that much like he's not bad at it but it's something that he you know the partially because he's ever isn't he averaging the same assist basically uh, as jimmy butler no 5.6 versus 7.6 per 36 oh but oh yeah i didn't realize butler was that yes high. Yeah. i'm sorry no it was Kawhi. he and Kawhi. He and Kawhi. Are pretty, yes are oh yeah they're they're that's almost that's identical yeah. yeah and um 
and and Paul George, you could argue his playmaking usage is a little harder because he turns the ball over more. But um, but with for me, part of why Zion is in there, I mean, yeah, you can there there are a couple phases of the role within the offense. Is then you can get into the the stuff about efficiency. And so as an individual scorer, Butler, despite shooting twenty percent on two point eight threes per hundred possessions, sixty percent true shooting, Paul George sixty one, and they're actually point point four percent away from each other. Zion sixty five percent. That ridiculous the ridiculous efficiency that he has and the other part of it you, you brought up the idea of like w- with Paul George one of these two-star teams parsing the with and without Kawhi and there are a lot of other issues with the Clippers but like I use cleaning the glasses so because it filters out garbage time Kawhi and Paul George together have been an absolute buzzsaw plus 18 net rating the team is also shooting 45% from three in those minutes Kawhi without Paul George plus six net rating still very good team also still ridiculous shooting and that tones down Paul George without Kawhi this is as I did it doesn't inclu- include uh, their Sunday loss to the Knicks I I had already compiled my stats. Plus one net rating, and their offense is one twelve. That's yeah, that's that's lower than I thought. Yeah. I, I should have looked at it's that. It's one twelve, and so like, I assumed it was better than it was because they've won a fair number of games without Kawhi. And so, and and, and yes, there is context in terms of who plays and who doesn't, and that the Clippers haven't shot nearly as well in those minutes, and a lot of that is you would think is not going to sustain, but it is over the course of the season, and those are all fourteen hundred to nineteen hundred possessions. So the, the actually the volume is actually pretty similar, and so. For me, that was that kind of tied in with something that had that had been festering with me in terms of the Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Zion thing, which is basically that Paul George has been has been as good as the other two, but I think he has been less important to his team's success. And so as a tiebreaker, they're all wonderful players. I want to do that. And also the like the degree of difficulty for Zion versus Paul George, where you and I have harped on the Stephen Adams acquisition in terms of the challenge offensively some of the limitations that this new orleans team has in terms of personnel that they didn't fit and i don't factor in that they didn't figure that sam vigotti didn't give the ball zion you know didn't that didn't point zion didn't come until halfway through zion doesn't get credit for that like it's not like we pretend that it happened the whole way through that count counts for player ratings but it doesn't here but there yeah. is a i mean that that's the big difference for me is just if he had played the way that he'd played after february 1st all season then i would have him as uh as good as butler or george yeah. but ultimately it didn't matter because i had all of them on on my sure team, but and, and for me i that that so. created the challenge because then because i had durant in i might actually consider removing durant i i that because i hadn't in my brain i didn't realize that it was below half the season and that is you know what i'm gonna do that i think that once you're yeah. that far below so then that's gonna move i'm gonna move butler to second team and then i'm gonna put paul george to replace um, because that that is that I think that is the threshold and Durant has been better but yeah so I'm going to move them so I'm going to have I have Butler over Zion over George but they all make teams congratulations to all three of those gentlemen um, and that that makes I mean yeah. you could say that makes Durant my closest omission but it's also a kind of a different circumstance well uh, yeah I, I think uh, I would be interested to see what the fewest number of games in terms of percentage of the season a player has ever played to make all NBA yeah I would we've be, heard I that mean, a lot in, in MVP yeah because of the bill Wal- because of the walton and bead stuff yeah. but we haven't really heard it in terms of all mba uh, are there any other yeah. forwards that you think had a like the way i like to describe it is seriously considered not versus lightly considered like was there anybody else that you think warrants can warrants mention here well i think we do have to talk about julius randall because sure. i'm my guess would be that he's going to make it and certainly he's going to feature in another award later as well having a wonderful season i said early on that i didn't think he should make the all-star team over bam and butler i still feel that way over butler but I think he's probably had a better season than Bam overall. 
and so certainly uh, if we we're gonna redo the all-star teams now at the end of the year you'd be a worthy all-star selection in the east however they're really if you there's no metric that you can look at where he's close to zion or butler or george if you look at some of the impact metrics for example 47th in per which would probably help him you would think due to his box score stats 28th in raptor 418th in the nba in luck adjusted rapm 437th in luck adjusted offensive uh, rapm now of course part of that is because he's playing on this ridiculous starting unit with alfred payton and a center and basically just having no spacing at all and then you just look at his overall stats uh, too right he is 57 percent true shooting 29 percent usage and the the assists are nice but i wouldn't say he's any better in those categories as a playmaker than zion once he shifted to running point more george or butler zion stats fourth in the nba and per 65 percent true shooting pretty similar usage i mean julius randall is average efficiency and zion is one of the most efficient players or or, or if you want to use like offensive raptor zion is 23rd in the nba and julius randall is 66th yeah randall makes up for some of that with his defense sure. over zion but it, it's just uh, to me it's just not close when you look at how hard these guys are to stop as well that you know there are guys in the league who can guard julius randall he'll, he'll make some tough shots he did today against the clippers and you do wonder how much some of that is is sustainable but it's also worth noting that those plays don't really create for other players he's not getting double teamed on a lot of those plays his and this comes in at most improved but he's shooting 16 percent of his shots at the rim this year he just is not able to get there again part of that's due to the spacing or lack thereof that the knicks have but it's just a, there's no statistical argument other than the knicks have been a big surprise and man look at all these awesome contested jump shots he's making doesn't that look cool oh and did i mention he plays in new york yeah, having a wonderful year just not one of the six best forwards in the league this year yeah but but certainly we we had to talk about that apologies to jason jalen braun and jason tatum they'd be in that same group probably uh with randall if you told me i had to put someone else on there though it probably would be kd and now that brings us to guard steph curry i think will be on both of our first teams we talked about him at length i think between luca and lillard very close could go either way i went with lillard in the end uh but luca could certainly be right up there as well for me i i wouldn't argue with you if you put him above lillard and I had it the I had it the other way. I had Luca over Lillard, and then to me the clear cut fourth spot. Again, remember this is a different calibrator than MVP goes to James Harden. And I thought Harden, even with the sandbagging in Houston, had an absolutely excellent season when he was able to be on the floor. If you want to look at some of the overall metrics, Harden fifth in offensive Raptor. I think he's sixth in uh, offensive EPM estimated plus minus. And I mean, he's just, he's been amazing this year. If you want to do the kind of the overall counting stats. Yeah. Great, great clutch performance yes. this year too, actually. 25 points, 11 assists, nine rebounds a game. Um, Harden, 62% true shooting on 29 usage with an insane, so his assist percentage as basketball reference counts it, 44% of, uh, of teammate field goals when he was on the floor. Like that's, that's an incredible, that's an incredible number that is in line with some of his best years is not his, his best year in Houston in 16, 17, in terms of that single measure was a little bit higher, but I mean, crazy within the course of the league. So Harden, I mean, in the conversation for the five best offensive players this season. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's much of an argument against having him on the second team. Yeah. Uh, Harden, uh, I mean, the argument, 
improvement would be the amount of time and he, he's basically right around that same level of lebron and butler and leonard only 42 games now the fact that he's played 42 games and a bunch of them came in houston where he was sabotaging things that is now a larger percentage of his season but ultimately i did put him here on the second team as well just because he's just a different tier a different class of player than the guys who are in this group below him he has been for a long time and yeah this hamstring injury definitely sucks uh doesn't sound like he's gonna play much more maybe he'll play one or two more games it's just kind of a light ramp up here but i'm still he's just a, a, a different class of player and he's played enough even with the houston issues that that he's got to be here so now we get to third team and i thought that one other player to me let, let me give you the list of, of players that i still have in consideration here sure Kyrie, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Zach Levine, Chris Paul, and Trey Young. And to me, out of that group, Irving clearly separated himself. Even though I have him clearly below Harden, I thought he was a pretty easy pick to be at least one of those guys. And again, you get into the overall stats. The biggest one for me with Irving, Brooklyn Nets 93rd percentile on offense with Irving, but no Harden or KD on the floor. Ninth in offensive Raptor, eighth in luck adjusted offensive RPM. The traditional stats in terms of efficiency and usage are also completely ridiculous. 61% true shooting, over 30% usage. The minutes, even though he's kind of missed time this year, 1,800 minutes are probably at or above the median for these all-NBA guys that we're talking about in this crazy year. So Kyrie just had to be on there to me as because the team's doing well. His traditional statistics are better than the rest of these guys. Obviously, they're a dynamo when he's on the floor with the, the other... When the other guys uh Harden and Durant as well so and I think defensively he's been he's had some lapses but he also is he's probably better than some of these guys like Trey for example probably about the same as as Booker or Mitchell and uh, no arguments there on Kyrie Kyrie firmly on my third team and I I felt like there was a reasonable separation between Trey Young and everyone else you know so like Kyrie accepted because we already talked about him and for Trey I mean he's huge huge role within the offense 33% usage 10 assists per 36 minutes is both those are both really high efficient as an individual player 59% true shooting partially just because he gets to the line such an ungodly amount and you know the Hawks offense has been fantastic when he's been on the floor one 119.4 cleaning the glass offensive rating is excellent and the Hawks have had a lot of players shuttling in and out they have a lot of dependent players not exclusively but a lot of dependent players on it and I yeah. I just ton, ton like the first like t- probably before Gallo and Bogdanovich started playing I mean they had some pretty miserable offensive talent around. right exactly and those lineups were pretty consistently elevated and Trey Young you know you don't always think of point guards as being the reason that a team has an insanely high free throw attempt rate but for Trey Young that is completely the truth uh John Schumann had the stat over the uh, oh I think it was over the weekend I don't know the current iteration of it that so it was he was doing the like players you know the players who assisted a specific teammate the most and Trey Young had two of the top top five because it was Collins, yeah, Collins and and Capella and, Capella. Yeah. and Trey Young you know it's it's a little bit different than Luca, but he he is such a central part of their offensive success and you know you and I argued this point a lot over the couple of years and so it was like last year 
Hawks had a 111 offensive rating, but it was that huge differential because they went off a cliff. They went off a cliff again this year, comparatively, when Trey Young was off four, but a 119.4. That's the top 10 percentile in the entire league. When Trey has been out there, if you want to use some of the overall yeah. metrics in terms of Raptor, offensive Raptor, Trey Young seventh of players playing over 900 minutes. And in terms of estimated plus minus, Trey is, I think he's ninth right behind, he's right behind Kyrie in one and right ahead of Kyrie in the other. Yeah, that's a offensive estimated plus yes. minus. He's ninth, ninth in luck adjusted RAPM offensively as well. And yeah, I think Trey, there's been a lot of attention on he's not shooting as many threes now and his individual efficiency is down a little bit. He relies on the free throws, which I mean, nobody complains about Joel Embiid there. I mean, there is a feeling that it's like kind of more bullshit foul drawing, which is true. But uh, last time I checked, at least during the regular season, those count in the scoreboard. Yeah, it's an, and the, he su- doesn't, sustainability yeah. doesn't really matter. Like it's he did it. He shot those free throws, and because he Trey Young makes eighty eight percent of them, they count as points. Well, and you know what else counts as points is all the assists that he. He really just is totally underrated as a playmaker. Uh, the but I did really struggle between him and Devin Booker. Booker also crazy offensive rating when he's a. Uh, on the floor about 120 or so uh 7.5 net rating is really really good seventh in offensive rating in the nba among players playing 25 minutes or more many would say oh chris paul should be ahead of devon i mean you even heard some chris paul mvp talk which is absolutely completely ludicrous but there is just literally no statistical argument for that other than phoenix suns won some games and he wasn't on the team last year see it's it's interesting like i think i think of booker and young as more even as players in the abstract than their resumes this year like booker has actually been less efficient as a scorer than trey and has a much more role within the suns offense now that's a part of why the suns are way better because if you could have somebody as good as either of those two guys be a smaller role generally speaking that's going to be because you have other good players chris paul most notably among them for the suns And, you know, both of them, you know, Booker has, I think, has improved more defensively than Trey Young has. But and so if we were having this of who do you think is the better player, if you were going to run the season back, who would you who do you think would be better if you swap their teams or something else like that? But I think I thought Trey's resume was markedly better. Yeah, Booker gets more points for being better on on defense and being part of a good defense this year, where as young as still is definitely a problem, although he's he's gotten better as well. But I think ultimately they have pretty similar offensive ratings when they're each on the floor. But I would say that Booker has had more talent, certainly more shooting around him for the bulk of the year. And also, I just give Young more credit for that number because he's not playing next to a Chris Paul. Like he is the sine qua non of this Hawks offense where everything runs through him. Donovan Mitchell, if you really dive into it, he just doesn't have any kind of statistical argument to be in this group other than high usage and a lot of points per game. And now the minutes, that's not really in his favor because he looks like he's going to miss a month here and zach levine the one number of metrics are not huge fans of him particularly the uh luck adjusted rapm numbers are really really low uh, on zach levine mike conley just isn't in the same class uh, as a player in terms of his overall role a lot of the credit he gets in these one number of metrics is for defense but he's kind of tied to rudy gobert and i'm gonna give rudy gobert even more of the credit for that uh, than mike conley is there anyone else that we needed to talk about here uh, Brad- I mean, bradley beal is in yeah. the in the mix for the scoring oh yeah yeah no for sure and yeah that's that's another one yeah and so Beal you know I think he I think I would have Beal over 
a lot of the other you know also considers that yeah. you mentioned I, yeah i would i would have him over mitchell as well for sure yeah um and over levine i just i want to see a little bit more overall efficiency from beal than we've seen i mean he's gonna probably end up second in the league in scoring but not really that much above average and the wizards offense has not really been that great this year and i don't some of that uh, beal doesn't do that much distribution i don't think there's just uh i, I again i don't think he's in the same class uh, as a playmaker as trey young so uh, nobody's gonna agree with us here i mean trey young couldn't even make the fucking all-star team in east this year so uh well, but hey that's not know, our the, job the, our... the hawks were 14 and 20 and at the time and the the pacers were the four seed so you know go, go ahead and put Devonis Sabonis on it over trey young um that's all about all i got on the guards Any, anyone else i'm missing here besides nope. beal that's it okay that now brings us to defensive player of the year and this is one of the easier ones rudy gobert number one full stop yep not even close a, opponent opponent we t- i talked about a lot of it but one other stat to throw in um opponents are shooting just below 50 percent on shots that gobert contests at the rim that is the second lowest opponent field goal percentage of any high volume shot contester miles and turner. he is high volume oh dude. yeah he is miles turner for for those who are interested is the only one who's giving up a lower percentage yeah. and, and it's fractions of a percent you know doing that uh the other two spots i think there are a lot of viable candidates many of whom we will discuss we're going to do a separate pod uh for dunked on uh for dunked on prime subscribers on on all defensive teams and everything else a lot of them will get plenty of attention there um but I ended up going with um, Clint Capella second. I think that p- w- one of the things that I've tried to articulate over this year that I've become more appreciative of is when a team, it's not as much about like whether the team is successful defensively, in particular when you're on or off the floor, it's are you successful defensively at the things that that player affects? And so when Capella's on the floor, Hawks defense has been pretty good, but a lot of it has been doing the big, big man things well. They're not fouling those minutes, they're grabbing defensive rebounds, and they're limited opponents attempts and success on shots around the rim those are all things Clint Capella does they're all things that his backups have done less well at different moments in time and so I give him a lot of credit for when the Hawks have been successful on that end no I agree I had a number two as well but I, I wasn't particularly strong on that no I, I wasn't either Joel Embiid I, I had Joel Embiid third uh I also uh Miles Turner would have been right in this mix had he not basically not played the last month and a half or so um and Draymond Green also apologies to him uh if he played all year like he has the last month he'd probably be in contention for second as well he probably would be four for me he, he's my number right three now. he's my number three but Draymond and Embiid it was splitting hairs yeah I think it's just a uh, Draymond just not doing that well in the one number metrics defensively which compared to how he now part of that I think is because actually the Warriors particularly the first half of the year really were kind of built to have a great defense on their bench and so it doesn't show up as much for him but those are also numbers that have absolutely loved what he's done in the past so you can't say that it's biased against him somehow and many will be wondering where ben simmons is here uh he's not even close to the best candidate on his own team other than epm which is the only metric that really likes him and interestingly same uh with draymond uh but perimeter defenders just don't make that big of a difference compared to big men you look at the on off stuff and Embiid is the driver of this not ben simmons and moreover that's been the case for the entire simmons and bead era basically so i know they're talking up ben simmons as a defensive player of the year candidate and i mean god if he wins it over Rudy Gobert I, I I may it's hilarious too Ben Simmons is like this big foil in Utah over rookie of the year and now it's become he's the foil over defensive player of the year when you know it really should be Embiid who's the foil like but, Gobert should be yeah. unanimous like this isn't it isn't a circumstance yeah. if you can make no, an argument right. Gobert should be unanimous 
no I, I i think you're completely right just same same as steph curry was he's not going to be because uh a lot of writers don't really know how to evaluate defense but there's just there's no argument uh and again this is rudy gobert it probably isn't even the best playoff defense player he's gonna have another chance to prove it this year but doesn't matter uh yeah doesn't matter let's move to let's do coach of the year yeah yeah let's do it uh pretty similar to where i i think i was i'm uh, i have a notable difference and oh, that yeah? is, I have a new number one. Okay. Tom Thibodeau. I think there are a couple of important things that a coach can do. One of them is get his team to try on defense. That is something you and I have talked about. Defensive success, defensive effort. And then the other big decision that that Tom Thibodeau had to make that no other coach really in the conversation had to was, how is his offense going to work with the, you know, you think that coaches don't have as much of a voice in the groceries. You know, like I use the parcel analogy here. It's buying the groceries versus making the making the meal and Tom Thibodeau giving the keys to Julius Randle not only and and I mean a lot of credit there obviously goes to Julius Randle for actually doing it but not only was that the best decision for the Knicks that was that is the reason they are doing as well as they are is that they've been you know that they that they didn't try to do that I don't think RJ Barrett would have done nearly as well when Alfred Payton has had a larger role that hasn't worked out and so for me yes you can make an argument that so, like there are a lot of coaches that have done great we'll talk about a lot of them this year but in terms of elevating the groceries that were purchased for him I don't think anybody has done a better job than tips it's been a very eerily similar season for Thibodeau to his last or the two Bulls teams that he had totally without Derrick Rose in 12-13 and 13-14 where they had this good defense, they're try hard, they came on like gangbusters at the end of the year and got to have the offense a little bit better than it had been early in the defenses there all year. So yeah, he's number three for me uh, and a lot of the stuff that he's done, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, this is a crazy year. Why uh, you're playing Julius Randle 40 minutes and RJ Barrett 40, 40 minutes but that's actually worked this year. Those guys haven't gotten hurt. He's maybe a little bit lucky that they haven't. And, and we'll see where they are a few years from now. And as comes up, you know, what came up in MVP and all this stuff, that doesn't mean I think Tom Thibodeau is the best coach for any team or is, is a great playoff coach or anything else like that. I didn't do coach rankings like you and John Hollinger did, but... I think he has been he has he has been the highest value add of any coach for me in the league this year. Yeah, I think you had to officially retire from coach rankings after Jason Kidd was fired as we were ranking him number thirty, <laughs> like literally as we were talking about him. Um, but I, I think overall, Tibbs still does some things that uh, there is some fruit, like you know playing Alfred Payton too much, sure, for example, is not amazing and. He definitely has gotten great effort out of this team, and and you mentioned putting it in Randall's hands. He's done a great job. There are a lot of great candidates. Yeah, and and th- year, it's actually. it's funny in a certain respect. You could make an argument that by picking Tibbs, I'm dissing or you know under undervaluing the Knicks talent. Yeah, possibly, very possibly. And I mean, I love Randall Winston more than almost every member of the basketball media, and that's been true for a half decade now. But yeah. it's it's still to get this level of talent and something I brought up. Uh, Jared Dubin and I talked about this a lot and. Uh, a couple other, you know, this come up in my the writing that I've done with Seth at the Athletic of even if you regress the Knicks opponent three point shooting to the mean, they are still a much better defense than I anticipated, and they're better in a lot of ways. Some of which are personnel, but like I mean, playing hard and everything like that. And so yeah, I mean, there's an argument to make that some not all this stuff is sustainable. And but yeah, as you say, you were going to get into there are a lot of coaches that have done phenomenal jobs this year. Yeah, I am loath to make the coach of the year, and, and you know the Knicks might get to whatever they're going to get to here. What what are they going to make the five seed? I think there's a very good chance. 
gift of the fort yeah okay so i mean that that's very good but that's also not as good of a record as your traditional four seed True. would have would have and to me i'm a little bit loath to reward the coach of the team that gets you to being you know like above average when you weren't supposed to be that good as opposed to a guy who takes you to being elite and i really struggled between quinn snyder and monty williams i think this is going to go back and forth to, towards the end snyder to me has re-emerged once they have it looked like they were really in free fall and they're going to be the two seed maybe even possibly the three once both mitchell and conley went down and they have completely righted the shit now they've been just blowing teams out again in that circumstance at least the the bad teams like he his system is just absolutely fantastic and i think they've been way above expectations but you also have to consider that with the talent that they had on the floor they're probably above where they should have been talent wise the last few years and now they're even higher than that yeah i mean and- as we're recording this the jazz have a plus 11.2 cleaning the glass net rating the clippers are second at plus 6.9 that is a gargantuan margin and even if you want to argue that this that the jazz in total not in the moment have had better of player availability luck than others yeah i mean i, I would say that's fair this is still an incredible performance by them and the degree of diff- you know building a defense around a single player and also building an offense without a an incredibly efficient in this disrespect to Donovan Mitchell to some extent an, an incredibly efficient one-on-one creator that's a really hard thing to do and I mean that the Jazz are not only one of the only teams in the NBA that is top 10 in both offense and defense but also one that does it in kind of a different way is really impressive yeah the way they've emphasized bombing early threes as well and that's something that if you do that enough times maybe that gets into your defense but they've managed to maintain their defensive effort as well so I do go with Quinn Center by a hair just a hair over Monty Williams because and I thought he actually did a really good job last year and that they built on that they have their offensive system is fantastic they get a ton of cuts they're among the highest in assisted buckets he's worked in Chris Paul after a rough start I mean, what did they start they started like 11 and 10 or something didn't they and now they uh were going to be close to being the one seed they might still get there but it's looking like the jazz of the inside track we'll see what ends up happening there but and that one seed is going to be pretty important given where the Clippers and Lakers look so, like they're going to end so up the, su- the sun started eight and eight and then they went on a big win streak just for those who want that number right right yeah so uh and I mean you can just again point to a ton of schematic stuff that they've done to get this to be well and uh, uh, a very good defense as well deandre ayton making steps forward no backup center they still stop people with that group and and to me it's it's funny because this came up a little bit in all nba one of the strongest arguments for monty williams so i had quinn snyder second and monty williams third so very similar and it was horrendously close between all of those guys all those guys is that the suns have been this good while neither of their guards had a transcendent season like you know they've both been you know both booker and and Chris Paul have been very good. Like I'm not saying they're they're slugs or anything terrible. They're they're. Just, I thought it was the way that the Suns got to that next level was like maybe both of them being like second, third team All NBA quality, and they're, they're both doing well. Yeah. And and so for the Suns to do that, and as you mentioned, without a backup center, the Sharich at center stuff has been a revelation. We wondered if that was going to work out, and they've they've defended well in a lot of different circumstances, and especially when they've been closer to healthy, um, getting a lot more defensively out of DeAndre. 
beaten than we expected. I think that's been important. And the Suns, as great as their guards are, they don't have a ton of like shot creation out of the rest of their team. You know, not, it's not as, I, I would say, as, it's kind of a different beast than the one that Quinn Snyder is dealing with. But you know, like Mikhail Bridges, I, I love Mikhail Bridges, but he succeeds in very specific ways. And they have kind of a lot of guys like that. Jay Crowder, of course, firmly fits that description. Cam Johnson, you know, guys that you need to set up, but that that, that can convert when, when set up. And to be able to make all of that function into a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense is a great coaching job. And I feel terrible about leaving Doc Rivers off of my top three. They did a really good job staying afloat when Embiid went out. He's really put Embiid in great position to succeed. Uh, He's having his best year. Tobias Harris is having his best year as well. So I'm uh, Doc Rivers has done an amazing job and I feel terrible about not having him in my top three. But I think the Thibodeau uh, with the the Knicks surge uh, has surpassed him. Well, and a couple other coaches that I want to mention that have done a real Really nice job this year. Um, yes, their offense has taken a, a, a jump off a cliff, but for the Lakers to be second in defense, when you consider how much time Anthony Davis has missed, how much time LeBron has missed, and how much they've relied on Montrez Harrell at center is really impressive. Like I think Frank Vogel has done a really good coaching job this year. I am more confident in his defensive chops than I was at the end of last year, and they won the damn title. I, I agree with you there. It, we, we talked about that on Locker Room the other day, that they're not going to have anyone who's anywhere close to an all-defensive team this year, and they're yeah, still... We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> close to the number one number one defense uh james borrego getting the hornets to be pretty solid on offense working in lamello ball to what was already an established backcourt has been fantastic they're at least going to make the play and that's way above where anyone had them and you know, mark dagnall when the thunder were actually trying <laughs> he was doing a pretty good job now it's now it's hopeless and uh, Taylor Jenkins, certainly the the Grizz are going to overperform. Again, they'll be right in the play-in mix. I think pe- most people had them below that. Uh, I want to mention Steve Nash and yeah, sure. the whole coaching staff, but how they have handled the ludicrous amount of player availability and turnover is is impressive. And I mean, and that they've tried out a lot of different stuff and the, whether it's switching or, you know, a lot, I mean, Harden is playing fundamentally differently than he did earlier in the season and in previous seasons under Mike D'Antoni. Uh, and so I, I think that Nash has, it's a, it, again, a very different challenge than a lot of these guys. And I don't think, I didn't put him in serious conversation for the top three, but I did want to mention the job that Greg Popovich has done this year. I think that the Spurs have played better defensive personnel as they, you know, moved Jakob Pertl in and de-emphasized and then eventually, I mean, they, they let LaMarcus Aldridge go and then crazily he retired. But to be 11th in defense and to be in the, in the playoff mix with Derek White barely playing this year and when he played, not playing particularly well and incorporating a lot of young dudes and everything else. Like, I think Pop did a really good job this year, just not quite at the same level, but I wanted to mention him all the same. Let's get to Rookie of the Year now and Anthony Edwards has had a big surge lately and hopefully that's not going to lead to people actually voting him as Rookie of the Year compared to LaMelo, but uh, Edwards has played at the level where I think he is comparable to LaMelo since probably about March 1st or so that the uh the unit wants an donkey actually had a big surge after that but when we last did this which was mid-march Anthony Edwards had a 480 true shooting percentage he killed the wolves for two-thirds of the year definitely has come on lately and obviously playing with Towns and Russell has really helped him but LaMelo he's just not close to LaMelo ball despite the fact that he's played 800 more minutes LaMelo has basically the same usage higher efficiency way better obviously as a playmaker way better as a defender and way better as a rebounder where, where Edwards 
which really doesn't do much so there's essentially just no argument whatsoever for me uh second was a little bit harder i do try to put a kind of tiebreaker on who i think is the best overall prospect and i actually would have edwards now as the second best overall prospect in this class above Halliburton by a hair I think it could uh, could go either way but he's he's when I say I might even put Halliburton as having the higher median outcome but Edwards has shown enough to me that I value that upside more so I probably if I were going to say who would I rather have going forward I probably would pick Edwards over Halliburton at this point but I do have Halliburton higher because Halliburton was a, a quality contributor all year whereas again Edwards just he's been solid for the Wolves in the Chris Finch ish era and when Town has been back and obviously that's made things a lot easier for him they've been competitive since then but he was just such a negative player with incredibly high usage and really low efficiency bad defense no no work on the boards really that uh you just that happened and i will discount that some because he's come on and that's what rookies are supposed to do and this is kind of a prospect focus award but that's not enough to overcome someone who's been solid all year agreed and i think rookie of the year to me is i i don't factor in how good the player is going to be nearly as much as you so edwards didn't he didn't factor into my rookie of the year voting he will of course factor in my all rookie all rookie team consideration um but i thought there were three and you could make an argument for a fourth you know rookies that helped their team and this isn't you know some of the all 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 in one metrics didn't agree with me and i'm okay with that but just as as i saw it this year lamello won you know he he made his team better and also like we should talk about that lamello was a better defensive player than we expected now it is it is toned down a little bit but like he is he was much better this year defensively than anthony edwards was and you know that he there are times where maybe not a value add but less of a minus than most rookies are halliburton to me is number two much smaller role within within the offense only 18 percent usage for halliburton but incredibly efficient 59 percent true shooting you know made made a lot of his shots and was was pretty good as a distributor you know he, he did that and then for me the third the third guy and there will come the other players will come up kind of an all rookie as well was emmanuel quickly and quickly um, I wish he spent a little bit more time on ball. It's not the perfect role for quickly, but when you think about kind of what the Knicks have going, but he was a positive player and positive players are hard to come by in year one about league average true shooting, 26% usage, 3.8 assists per 36 minutes, you know, decent enough on defense. He's a guard that, you know, very few rookies are value adds anywhere. And for guards, that's not as big a deal. Um, and so for me, quick, the quickly spot, I considered two other guys there and I'll let you, I don't know if you're going to get to the same two, but there were, there were two others. And then those two complete my all my all rookie first team uh so is one of them isaiah stewart yes he is um isaiah stewart i'm not you know raptor loves his defense in a way that i don't particularly you know i i've i've been impressed with with stewart and he he's better on that end than i expected you know watching the watching i watched him at uw and there was sort of similar to kyra lewis where i watched him play against guys that we were scouting but we never formally did isaiah stewart i thought he did really well and then my other guy who i think has been a positive player again kind of like quickly efficient in a smaller role is stewart's teammate sadiq bay yeah the bay and quickly and stewart i they're just don't seem like they're gonna be significant enough players yeah see i just don't care about that in the end like i i i I, I got you I, i mean and that's uh you know where's Halliburton I think I think is it's just uh, when you're when you're looking back on it like those guys will be okay-ish starters and uh, you know Anthony Edwards could be a star potentially and you know I, I think just if he let's uh, in some ways actually I think if Edwards had just done what he's done in his overall stat line
line just consistently throughout the year and never gotten better i probably would would feel different about it but because he's like played at actually like a pretty quality level these last couple of months and come on like that makes me feel better about having him here but again third number three in rookie of the year we probably don't need to spend any further time on that yeah, so my my first my all rookie team first team is the ex- five guys I just talked about: Lamelo, Halliburton, quickly Bay, and. Oh, are we doing that? I didn't. Oh, I didn't. I'll just say mine briefly then. My second team, okay. I have Edwards at the top of my second team, and then the other the other four are basically just older older dudes that have been mar- like po- at least slightly positive players: Facundo Campazzo, Jay Sean Tate, Desmond Bain, and Xavier Tillman. Sounds pretty reasonable, having done absolutely no research on it whatsoever. Uh, let's best sophomore. Zion is obviously number one, and uh, I think it comes down to MPJ versus John ja Morant. And I think MPJ in this last time has done just enough to pass John ja Morant, who I still like better as an overall prospect. But uh, Porter has gotten much better defensively, and just the crazy efficiency that he's had he's starting to do a little bit more at least creating his own shot if not setting up others lately but that that one is splitting hairs again and if john shot a little bit better from three or hadn't gotten hurt earlier in the year and and kind of suffered as he was coming back from that ankle sprain uh i think it, it might have been different for me uh do you feel differently i feel the same uh so i think we All can right. get to most improved player and I saw there is I saw four high end candidates, all of whom have had really notable improvements. And what I find so fascinating is I've heard a lot about a couple of them, and I've heard next to nothing about others. Um, and again, most improved yeah. player is the hardest to evaluate because you're kind of going through different things. It's what are you like? You're weighting different improvements. What is sustainable? What isn't? Because this isn't like I talked. I talked about this a little bit in terms of All NBA, where it's like, yeah, maybe Trey Young's foul drawing is unsustainable in the playoffs or whatever. Like that doesn't matter. But I think to a point that does matter with most improved, that matters more to me than others. So like, if a guy, if it's primarily based on him shooting really well and i think that there is a regression to the mean that is coming i factor that in and so that will lead to a certain player being a little bit lower but still firmly among that four so i'm just going to name the four and then we can talk about it so the one that is coming up the most frequently is julius randall and of course he is a deserving a deserving player in this group another one who is a deserving player who you hear sometimes but i think deserves a little bit more here is zach levine significant improvement forward you know the idea of the could he generate could he could he lead a successful offense yes uh, and I think that the Bulls really missed him during during this COVID absence in particular, and that sank their playoff chances. But then the other two, I think, are really interesting, and they're actually my one and two. Number one is Joel Embiid, and number two, the guy who is not mentioned at this for at all, is Shea Gildress Alexander. Yeah, I so I I would say I had a top five. No, I'm actually probably a top six. Okay, Randall Levine, Gilgis Alexander, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. I have him fifth. Yeah, and uh, Jeremy Grant. Sure. So Grant, if he had played the way that he did the first you know month and a half of the season all year, then maybe he would have been in this. He's also kind of missed some time down the end, and just he's kind of been on a bullshit team too. I mean that that's kind of part of it uh, as well. Where if you're being most improved and you're on a winning team and it's not just about opportunity and you felt certainly he's showed off some new skills right i I mean there's a few credit this is uh the award designed to honor an up-and-coming player who has made a dramatic improvement from the previous season or seasons is is the rubric for this and so i look at not only just your numbers but also your skill level are you doing different things and are you doing different things in a way that's sustainable do you have new moves 
Are you better off the dribble? Are you a better passer? Are you a better shooter? Better defensively? So I think Grant, to some degree, showed off some new skills. And he had more opportunity, which is what he wanted coming to Detroit. If the efficiency hadn't just fallen off throughout the season and ended up kind of being average-ish or below average, then I would have felt better about you know this being a real improvement as opposed to just more opportunity. I really kind of wanted to go with either Embiid or Jokic. I mean, Embiid, why well, you featured him quite prominently? Why don't yeah, you? He's my number one. The case for him. I mean, so yeah. Embiid did. I, I've talked about this a lot over the years in most improved player. He increased his role within the offense, 33 usage to 35.5 when I when I did it, and also improved his efficiency, 59% true shooting to 63. And going from an All NBA player to my permitted MVP is a massive leap. Like that is that is something to be a you know one of the top defensive players. You had him third, I had him fourth in defensive player of the year, and to be one of the most impactful players. That isn't what he was before. And getting to the free throw line a ton and being a part of a more dynamic, successful offense it is not only it is a difficult improvement like but it is also the most important improvement of any of these players and for me Jokic he he is better but he was also I I think that he is he is a slightly amplified version of what was already a great player whereas Embiid has added you know like the the foul drawing is at a different level and I, I you know he wasn't in this conversation the way that he is now We'll talk about Jokic in a second because I think it's been more than a slightly amp- amplified player. But yeah, if you just look for Embiid, usage way up from last year. You mentioned the true shooting being way up. He increased his free throw percentage by 6%, which is already awesome for a big man. He's up 4% from three. His mid-range shooting has been a total revelation this year. And, and some of this jump shooting may not be totally sustainable. But he's gotten to the point where, I mean, I, I'd like to see him play against Marcus Gasol. I don't think he's really done that this year I, if i did i didn't see the game but i don't think there, there's anyone that i can think of in the league that can stop him or think to stop him at this point he has so many ways to attack getting the usage up as well being big at the end of games also I mean, maybe the one thing that's been a little bit of a disappointment you wish he could uh still get better with turnovers and as a playmaker we haven't seen that as much but if you look at the team offensive performance when the floor he's been on the floor that's ridiculous the foul drawing he's also just will run guys over like he destroyed rudy gobert for 40 points for example in that great game that we did for uh the nba cast so i'm uh really incredibly impressed by Embiid. i would have no problem with him being picked uh, as well but let me lay out the case for Jokic. Sure. i did put i'll give you my top three i went with and again i i honestly would have picked any of the six this is always such a hard word i went with randall number one uh Gilgis Alexander number two and Embiid number three with massive apologies to Zach Levine and Nikola Jokic. Hollinger wrote about this quite a bit with Jokic but going up to 41% from three from the low 30s where he basically had been almost all of his career that was that's huge right because that was and he really discovered that against Gobert last year if you had you know unlike Embiid where there's nobody who can guard him in the post basically at this point there's maybe like four guys who could guard Jokic in the post and but now you also have his ability to pick and pop. And so those guys who can guard Jokic in the post aren't going to be able to deal with him on the perimeter in most cases. So that's a, another form that he has. He's so much faster. Like the number of dunks that he has being way higher than it was before. I think he's 
having one of his better years defensively even if the stats don't necessarily support that even better as a passer and initiator uh and just his overall scoring rate his usage is like way way up as well and his efficiency is up he's still one of the best mid-range guys in the league the his post-ups like the sambor shuffle he's been using that even more now uh but so yeah i I think it's more than just kind of an incremental improvement for him let's talk about shea gilgis alexander though who you uh, again mentioned he's only played about 1100 minutes which is i I don't put that in as much because shea to me showed off a a much better skill level as well well yeah and i think with gilgis alexander what happened was his role within the offense is so fundamentally different last year gilgis alexander was a part of a three-headed guard group with chris paul and dennis schroeder both of whom are in other pastures i mean and and that has left shea gilgis alexander to be the creator and you you ramp up the degree of difficulty not only in terms of his role but also in terms of surrounding talent i mean this thunder team is dramatically worse than the one that was around last year and alexander gilgis alexander um large much larger role within the offense not a big surprise when you go from having cp intruder to not um larger so usage 24 to 28 and then going from three and a half assists per 36 to 6.3 that might not sound like a lot but it, it really is but also yeah. becoming an incredibly efficient player i mean so 62 percent true shooting one of the yeah. best for for a guard on a bad team that's incredible it is and yes 42 percent from three might not be totally sustainable it probably wouldn't have sustained over the course of this full season yeah. but watching the film on him the pick and roll work he's he is a fundamentally better player you know like he is he his timing and yes there are parts of playing with Al Horford that can make things easier because he's I like to call it a dual threat big because he can pop and he can roll and so that makes the kind of if you're trying to play it two on two that can make the other guy have some struggles but when the other three guys on your team often can't do a whole heck of a lot that that is a a challenge for me to that's a challenge for Shea more accurately than a challenge for me um and I think that 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 is a gargantuan leap and I think with with Randall like I mean totally in this you know in this mix and everything else but like for me part of Shea over Randall is that if Randall's shooting isn't quite as ridiculous as has been you know like the the contested the contested twos if that scales yeah. down a couple of percent but 42 percent from three he was 28 percent last year yeah so if it's but but like with Shea I mean part of it is, is watching all the film and everything else on it and I, I just I think that there is there is more there that you can that you can say is this is who he is moving forward and you know it's designed to do an up-and-coming player and, and Randall's had a wonderful year but I, and again I have Randall third you know and, and I have zero opposition to you having him first like that's that's a totally fair result if Randall wins the award I will not complain one one bit but I, I think what Shea has done is more it's more impactful and I think it's maybe not all sustainable but it is the foundation of something that is more sustainable yeah I did go with Randall number one and Julius Randall is doing this if you want to talk about the improvement in his game certainly the the distribution is part of it but like you know he's just attacking guys off the dribble like the step back to his right is just deadly all of a sudden I mentioned the three-point shooting improvement the improvement has gone up a lot as well uh, as uh, he's only shooting 40 percent from mid-range but that's much higher and he's just taking impossible shots and you talk about the ecosystem he's had to work in this impossible ecosystem he's taking only 17 percent of his shots 
at the rim and previously in his career the lowest it had been was last year when he took 36 percent of his yeah. shots at the rim that's just incredible well and randall and, i mean so last year he shot 28 percent or sorry sorry he shot uh 36 percent on jumpers this year that's up to 42 percent so even that's that's some twos and some threes and the degree of difficulty has gone up too this isn't a player yeah. you know going from you know a lot of self-created to catch and shoots in many ways it's the reverse yeah even his threes only 80 percent of his threes are assisted which is a very high number or, or, or a very low number i should say it's a high number to have 20 percent of your three-pointers self-created at his position is really impressive and only 34 percent of his twos are assisted which again for a power forward is tiny and he's gotten way better on defense he's been a part of a good defense i don't think he's been the driver of that but he certainly hasn't prevented that from happening and, and Levine we talked about him too I mean he's gotten it, it's a shame that he had that sprained ankle and then the COVID absence certainly got to be at an all-star level this year and became enough of a threat as a jump shooter that you now have to double team him as the point of attack and that it really worked on his playmaking and he was able to drive efficient offense for his team for the first time but a lot of what he was doing too is just making a ton of jump shots which there wasn't quite the across the board improvement he's gotten a little bit better defensively but he's still not amazing there he's better on ball than, than off ball as we've talked about um let's get to six man of the year and i think for this there is one player who to me very clearly has the best statistical case and that's thaddeus young that's interesting so i have thaddeus young second and i i couldn't get you know i couldn't put him above the guy who happens to be also leading in kevin pelton's wins above replacement player the warp metric and thaddeus young i i get the case it's in many ways similar to the to the andre guadala case but good lord joe ingles has been efficient offensively yeah, he was he was my number two and both of these guys have benefited from getting some time as starters due to either injury or uh ineffectiveness of the stars at times which have bolstered their cases i would actually say though that thaddeus young's time as a starter probably hurt his case <laughs> to some degree he was much better as a sixth man and his overall net rating went down but he's still i mean there are very few if you go through and look at it of guys who are sixth men who are playing a bunch of minutes per game but also have like really good net ratings i mean there are very few of those guys because if you're on a good enough team to have a good net rating then you've got probably really good starters on that team and so guys coming off the bench just aren't going to play that much and Ingles was is kind of the exception to that but young just as you go through the one number metrics he's just way higher than all the rest of these guys i worry a little bit that there's some shooting luck involved there like he is way lower in uh the luck adjusted repm than all this other stuff but he's 90th percentile in epm very high in regular repm top 20 18th in the nba and raptor there's just no one else who's really close to that in some of these so i had to give it to thaddeus young uh based on that but you, i so I, I think his statistical case is pretty clear uh, maybe less so just in my own mind of who i think is a better player but ingles uh and he was up there gonna set the nba record in true shooting that's gone down some now that he's had to do more on ball playmaking but he's basically been their point guard these last three weeks with conley and mitchell out as well absolutely and the, he that has given ingles kind of you could call it more to do and he's been he's been absolutely incredible i mean offensively yes the usage rate isn't isn't crazy high you know it's 16.6 usage but 69 true shooting i mean that's kind of it's it's almost inconceivable he's making 
46% of his threes taking 7.8 per 36 yeah. minutes. But by the way, Ro- Robert Williams would say, uh, I do not think that word means what you <laughs> think it means. And Ingles doing that without getting to the line, you know, doesn't have to. He shoots 85%, but gets there, you know, a couple times every game or every few games. Um, and Ingles also making 60% of his twos, you know, not having to get there a ton, but doing that. And so, and I, I mentioned uh, KP's warp metric has, has Ingles number one. It has Thaddeus Young a little bit lower, but I think they're, you know, they're, I think that can get a little bit complicated. I have Young too. I think that it'd be for me. It'd be hard to argue him any lower. And I don't know if part of it is just me being being thrilled that he's been better defensively this year and the numbers looking better. But I ended up going with Montrezl Harrell third. I think that he's you know the. <sighs> I don't know if this is like me, him going over an unfairly low bar, but like the Lakers defense has been very good when he, when he's played on the floor, like 108-2 overall, but also 106-6 when Harold played without Davis on the floor, which was why I thought those lineups were going to be what kind of what kept him alive. And, you know, the, the, the high efficiency offense, 65% true shooting, you know, all the, the, 15% total rebounds, like all that stuff. Like, I, I think that there are other ones, there are other players who have a good case, but I was impressed with what Harold's done so far. Yeah, I just think he hasn't had the impact offensively Agreed. this year. But, you know, and, he's and been better that, defensively. That, and that's his, his raison d'etre. And so, so who did you have third? Jalen Brunson. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, and and apologies to Harold. Uh, Avicha Zubac technically is eligible for this. Miles Bridges, I think it was uh, someone who definitely deserves some consideration. Marcus Morris technically is eligible as well. Though, I mean, he really is kind of a starter there. Uh, Jordan Clarkson obviously was the front runner for a time, but he just, man, he fell off a cliff in terms of his efficiency well below league average now and also not someone who really does anything else other than score. He's only at 54% true shooting, 3% below the league average and one of the highest usage guys. I think he is the highest usage guy coming off the bench, but hey, we've, we've moved beyond usage uh and also patty mills hasn't been as efficient the rest of the year either he was up there for me early on anyone else i'm missing here in your mind i think that's about it but yeah i, th- I thought it was a pretty clear top three to me i didn't i didn't have harold i have i had brunson uh, i had brunson fourth so that's i'm not gonna and and for me the i'll, I'll say briefly the I mean, we talked. We've talked a lot about Jalen Brunson over the years. Just that the Mavericks' offense, like the Mavericks' offense, wasn't quite at the level that I would have hoped when Brunson played without Luca. They fit in better together, but you know, with the idea of that, could he lead it? And there's still, it's not like they were bad or anything like that. But I, I, I when it's a point guard, I, I think about it a little bit differently. Okay, executive of the year. I have had a single person atop my ballot when we because this is an award we do well monthly in a normal year we've done it a little bit differently this year and it's still Sam Presti to me I, I the because remember it, it covers the way executive of the year it covers for me when basically you could think of it as when the after the trade deadline or you could know like so the draft counts even though the league year hasn't turned over so it's not just straight league year. yes and Presti getting selling a lot of players at high at high value and also part of that being able to convert the subsequently like the players acquired in that and being able to flip them again and building this asset base not only for the present but for the future but there are a couple other important pieces here one is wait can, can i talk about one of, one of the trades sure. real quick that you're doing he traded steven adams making 29.5 million dollars for a first round pick that's that's just incredible <laughs> that's, there's there's so many of these two but that's the one where i'm just like that's that's completely ridiculous uh but but anyway you, you were gonna say there's uh, some other components uh, as well right and one of the other really important ones is a, a, and this will come up in not executive of the year as well is he had to hire a coach 
And I think he did a very good job. You know, we don't know exactly where Mark Dagnall is going to fit in, but I think he's done a very good job with the with the situation that he has been handed. And I and and that isn't so that isn't another important piece of business that Presti did. Some of the moves on the margins, you know, like kind of young players and you know putting putting pieces around it. I thought their draft was reasonable. You know, we'll see how Pokushevsky works out. And I remember, I this I'm not universally like everything he's done. I thought that Presti didn't get enough value in the Horford Danny Green trade. I thought that they basically they did Philly more of a solid than they got extracted value for. But you know, drafting Teo Maladon, finding Moses Brown, get, you know, basically getting Trevor Reza and then getting something for him when he hadn't played at all. And then now he's helping Miami, but, you know, and like letting him sit out there, you know, it's kind of a similar story with George Hill, though George Hill played before his thumb got fractured. Um, I, I just think he he did a lot of things well. And while many people would say, hey, like they've been unconscionably terrible over the last couple months. Yes. And like, I, I think in many ways, no, I mean, that that's another reason why he's still number two for me. Just like the, the, the fact that they showed a bunch of improvement, Shea Gilgis Alexander looked really good. And now they're actually getting a look at bu- a bunch of these other guys and managing to flush the toilet as well and get right down into the mix for uh, that top five pick that they wanted when, I mean, there's 16 and 19 when Shea Gilgis Alexander played and I mean, who knows what the hell they're going to be without him, but they clearly, you know, they made Al Horford go away for a while and, you know, they didn't get in trouble with the league for that. Somehow. It's so uh, that was, yeah, now this is doing a good job. Uh, another one of my candidates who's not in the top five, uh, Rafael Stone, the uh, the tank for him has been really important too, I, I think. And, and they've actually gotten, I thought the Harden trade was good. Christian Wood was a good signing. Uh, Kenyon Martin looks like he's going to be a solid player as well. Getting Jay Sean Tate out of nowhere is pretty good. And they've also been completely destroyed by injuries. But to, hey, to get have the best chance that they possibly could at in that top four protected pick, given where they started the year, uh, has been impressive he deserves some credit for that um but i had a different number one than you you had sam presti i'm going with james jones i just can't reward i mean presti when the rewards of this are so far in the future and we don't know that they're going to happen it's part of the issue with just with this award is you kind of you kind of have to do something where the time horizon and benefits have already been experienced whereas we're still it's still speculative for presti and i do think that the spirit of this award should involve some sort of an aspect of improving your team this year like presti last year I think it was well, my I mean, pick because I mean, they, they actually they, got better, they, right? They were, I mean, you could argue they were outperforming their point differential by a hilarious degree, but like they were a somewhat interesting team before everything everything went away. Now they weren't, yeah, they weren't at the same level. You know, the record overstated it, but it, yeah, and, and he got he got his actions this year got the Oklahoma City Thunder much closer to winning a championship. I think last year was was bigger for that though with the Westbrook and George trades, obviously. I mean, this is sort of just the cherry on top of that but I mean James Jones to get a team to being either the number one seed they were out of the playoffs last year and he used Kelly Oubre Ricky Rubio a protected first and the mid-level probably the Jay Crowder's the best mid-level signing like easily uh and they, they re-signed Dario Saric and they've taken those assets to make a team like statistically certainly at least a bonafide championship contender contender for the number one seed in the west well and like and, you brought up the number two seed in the west like they have the second best record in the nba they have this the sure. suns are they're in the mix for number two net rating they're currently third behind the clippers as we record this but 
I, I have yeah. no problem with James Jones being being in this. I, I mean, the the Jalen Smith pick though is is quite a block. <laughs> that is guy. a that is a part of why I don't have him first. And um, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton being on the board, you know, like that's that's an important. Yeah, and this is not hindsight. Like we no. were yelling for him to take. I I, I tweeted. Point. I'm like, I can't believe that the Suns are going to get Tyrese Halliburton because the we, we the Chris the Chris Paul trade had already happened, right? Yeah, it had because they, yeah they, they were right, they were going right. to potentially have Halliburton behind, and he would have fit so well with both of those players and the Suns also did some really nice moves on the minimum market you know getting Langston Galloway getting Etwan Moore you know for two of the better players that at least yeah. conceptually Tory Craig is in their rotation they got him for cash yes at the trade deadline so yeah James Jones had a phenomenal one and then the the, the I so I had kind of a top three I technically the executive of the year ballot is only one person that's the way they do it which I think is a little bit weird but the other to, to yeah. me well it's a little bit weird to have the other executives vote on it also too, also weird um the other person that I think warrants some some serious discussion, and it's especially for for you and I that are kind of like some of the nuances of what made his job really good is Daryl Morey. And so what Daryl Morey was able to do one hired a, hired a very good coach, and while either you know how much credit everything else, I mean it's the general managers the general manager is is a key part in that decision making process. And Daryl Morey was able to do I, I talk about the double sometimes for players of improve inc- increasing your usage or role within the offense and improving your efficiency. Daryl Morey was able to make a team that not only made more sense, but also has a better financial future. And yes, it did. They did sacrifice some some modest draft capital to make it happen. But they went from being hilariously in the tax for years because of the the Al Horford trade and contract. Sorry, contract with the Al Horford trade to being you know a little bit into the tax the next couple of years. And if they want to go deeper to retain somebody like Danny Green or what they want to do with George Hill, they can. And that is an extremely important thing for like the Sixers to be in the mix. You know, they're going to be the one seed in the Eastern Conference, and they're one of the best teams in terms of net rating and to do that while also making the team cheaper and more viable long term is insanely impressive yeah Maury was was number three for me Presti was two James Jones number one uh, honorable mention to Sean Marks slash Rich Kleiman slash KD um you know I think things are looking a little bit better I, I guess let's get into uh and Dennis Lindsay maybe to some degree but oh I, I didn't I didn't have Dennis Lindsay in this at all because I I think that a lot of those moves are going to have some real some real downside later on especially no, I, I mean I, I agree it, with was, you there. it was it's a it's uh, a cotton candy like I mean he's done he's a very good GM and they've done a lot of good work it just mostly wasn't this year and giving Donovan Mitchell a player option I want to mention now one other pl- person which is Leon Rose I mean Leon Rose oh yeah hired, yeah that's got Leon be Rose there. he's my number four hired my coach of the year and yes there are all these other issues with Thibodeau that didn't factor into coach of the year but also a lot of decisions to make during during this offseason and give you know a lot of the contracts they gave out were exceedingly reasonable you know Nerlens Noel that's looking yeah. good Alec, they left 15 million in cap space just open open and I mean yeah I, there are ways that that could have maybe been used to get more draft capital or something else I in many ways I wish they hadn't brought back Alfred Payton just so Tibbs wouldn't have played him but keeping Reggie Bullock on that lightly guaranteed trading for Derek Rose they didn't have to give up a ton in that deal Alec Burks looks good I mean um and but the reason why Leon wrote one of the and the Emmanuel quickly pick I think is totally is I mean I, I like quickly more this year than moving forward you know third in my rookie of the year I don't think he's necessarily going to be the best the third best rookie moving forward uh demerit is the Obi Toppin pick I think that Toppin was not the best player on the board and the the Tibbs hire you know has 
has some potential consequences that were not felt in my coach of the year ranking, but I think he did a really good job overall. And Nerlens, Tibbs and Nerlens are the places, and, and Taj Gibson are important places to start. Yeah, that, that top and pick was pretty rough though. Not executive of the year. This will, will finish out today's uh, program here. I actually kind of struggled with this. I think we'd seen some changes. Some of the guys that I had in there are actually looking better at this point. Yeah, and I had a late charger because of the move. They because you know, like the the trade deadline is not often a time that we think of rising for not executive of the year. But Arturis Karnasovas, come on down. Yeah, yeah, I'm, Arturis uh, Karnasovas. Well, we will at least we will at least pronounce his name right if if we're gonna crap on him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's just that that move we were not fans of it and then to to then have it work out where they weren't even they're not even end up uh, in the play-in when we thought at least that this could get them above the play-in and that was that was a big point of the trade uh, to get i mean they gave away this year's first round pick well probably yeah and and now they're they that pick could end up being uh in the top 10 and then and they're hoping they're hoping more that they're it it goes into the top four to at least at least it was protected this year uh and uh, so they had the foresight to do that but then they got the 23 pick as well that's also only top four protected they give up wendell carter jr who well, it was a disappointment but he started to show some signs of life as well they took on this is actually big danny too for their aspirations next year they take on al farouk aminu now i will give them credit for getting daniel tice for nothing yes. that was pretty good uh although gafford's been yeah, and they also nothing. got troy brown for nothing who helped them uh, i shouldn't say for nothing because they did trade away gafford who's been good in washington but uh that was actually like kind of a win-win trade that gafford for for brown trade it seems like but now because they took on aminu in that trade they're probably not gonna be able to renegotiate and extend levine and bring back tice as well we'll see what happens with that but they're probably gonna uh, and so part of this was to get levine back i mean to me hey you know what like you could offer zach levine a five-year deal and possibly have it be for the designated player veteran extension if he plays well next year like that should be enough right to to get him to come back and if you're not a good enough team at that point where he would want to come back for that money then it's probably not worth bringing him back anyway in the summer of 2022 and so a big part of the stated rationale for this obviously it was just to be relevant again but also to like convince levine to stick around or hey just doing a renegotiation and extension with levine this offseason when you're offering him over 10 million extra dollars that he couldn't get elsewhere plus then giving him a four-year max extension on top of that if that's not enough to keep him around like bring in Nikola Vucevic you're just so limiting your ceiling uh you know the Patrick Williams pick I'm not going to kill him on but as of he also the number four pick was there, there are guys that we've liked better so far that but he, he's young you know I'm not going to say that that pick can't work out or anything but yeah I'd have to put uh, Arturis number one in part because some of the other guys who started off poorly in the summer like John Horst for example he's recovered with that Tucker deal the Bucks they got both holiday and Giannis to stick around after the Bogdanovich debacle Tommy Shepard at least they're going to make the play in now and part of that was the move that he made for Gafford which is helped and also Russell Westbrook being so much better than he was at the beginning of the year true yeah I mean we thought he was going to be terrible part of that was probably that quad injury now Westbrook still is going to be crazy over it I mean like he's going to actually probably get some all-nba consideration which is going to be uh upsetting uh to me but with more worthy players uh and this for someone who voted for him all-nba last year over your objection so to and we had an mvp in 2017 so there's not some Westbrook bias here um 
And then third, I had Danny Ainge. Now, they've been killed by COVID, and they just can't get healthy with everyone. I think the Fournier trade, I think, was a good one. But for this team, they just got destroyed by Miami today. They, they, I mean, how many games have they had every single one of their good players available? But he could have done more. Like, knowing Romeo Langford was going to be out half the year and not shoring up anything at all on the wing, the Tristan Thompson signing doesn't look good. Giving away Tice just for nothing to get under the tax where he would be helping them so much right now with Robert Williams being out and Thompson kind of decrepit. And again, the moves that you don't make that if, and it kind of seems clear that this, uh, that this was the case that while Evan Fournier was a better use of the trade exception than I expected the Celtics to have, Miles Turner is a lot better than, than Evan Fournier and is on a team friendly contract for years to come would have solved a lot of their problems. And they could have used the the mid-level on someone who would have helped on the wing instead of using it on Tristan and giving Thompson Tristan Thompson two second. years when we'll see yeah. we'll see how that second year works out so I ended up Ainge's in my I guess you could call it dishonorable mention I would say also considered is where I had it um my number two has was has been a punching bag of yours for a lot of this season and there's an argument to make that he is that he looks a lot better now than before and that is Garrison Rosas and so with Rosas it is a a, a challenging kind of like resume because I, I would say that the the Edwards pick is unambiguously looking better than it was earlier in the season when Lamelo was outplaying him by more. I still think that was was an incorrect one, but also some of the other stuff to me is looking a little. I, I mean, so remember they sacrificed not only resources but also um, salary flexibility to bring in Ricky Rubio, and that was you know they basically they included in that deal was trading James Johnson for Ricky Rubio, and Ricky Rubio has not been nearly good enough, and some of that you know might have been not predictable, but now it's going to be difficult for the Timberwolves to even use the mid-level exception this coming year. And that was a choice that Rosas made and that they that they didn't have to get into. I think the Malik Beasley contract is looking totally reasonable. And some of his, you know, let's call it the sins, weren't in this league year, the D'Angelo Russell-Andrew Wiggins trade. We'll see on that. Um, the Juancho Hernan Gomez contract does not look great. I mean, Hernan Gomez has, you know, he had another $7 million guaranteed for next year. Um, and we'll see with Leandro Palmaro. I mean, that we, he didn't play in the NBA this year. So. Yeah, he's but Schmidt says he's playing well in yeah, Europe right so. now. He he had him in the, in his lottery uh, when they did the redraft on uh, the ESPN podcast. But yeah, Rosas he's off the list for me just because a big part of that was taking Edwards over Ball, yeah. and now Edwards looks like uh, I mean I, I don't think he will be, but it does that doesn't look as bad uh, as it did yeah. earlier in the year. So I I had uh, Arturis number one, Tommy Shepard number two, Danny H number three. I also considered. My num- Monty McNair. My number three hasn't been mentioned at all by you. Uh, Neil O'Shea? Nope. Bob Myers. Who? Who? One of the most important decisions that yeah, any team fuck, made you're right. was, was taking James Wiseman. Or, and yeah. Wiseman over LaMelo Ball, it could end up being much better than it looks right now. But that is a, it is a half-decade defining choice. And they also, you know, they're... What- he, he might have to be number one, honestly, uh, in the end, because... Uh, I, I like the Bulls weren't going anywhere anyway. Yeah, but for right? me, so like, I, like our tourists didn't sacrifice. I'm gonna, too I'm gonna, much. oh, so actually, I'm gonna move Bob Myers to two because the other thing I forgot to mention for Rosas is while it there's a lot of problems that came from it, there's a distinct possibility that Chris Finch was absolutely the right coach for them. And so, like, if he, yeah, if he, if that ends up being true, and I'm feel more confident in that than I did before, then okay, you know, fire, firing Hoiberg and the guy and not having a full, you know, coaching search and all that. So I'm moving Myers up to second. And some of the other stuff they did on the margins was wasn't terrible. I mean, Baysmore for the minimum is a, is a good piece of business. And the Ubre trade, I mean, some of that might have been uh, yeah. might have been them 
having pre-agreed to that, but just not not announcing it, consummating it until after the clay injury came out. But drafting James Wiseman over Lamelo Ball at this point is, I mean, it was a mistake that you and I said. Time we each had we each had Wiseman in a separate tier than Lamelo Ball, and he has been significantly worse than we thought he might be. And Lamelo Ball has been significantly better. And that isn't you know that isn't to say that Wiseman's going to be terrible for the rest of his career. That Lamelo is going to be you know he's the next LeBron James or anything crazy like that. But you don't get that many bites at that apple and they got it as of right now they got it wrong and the other process thing that i think bob myers got really really wrong that is a challenge and it's you know it's a criticism that i've levied on him you know wherever whatever outlet i've been writing in if we want to go back to real gm warriors world the athletic is back at point guard they got brad wanamaker brad wanamaker is a good basketball player however the golden state warriors did not have a second player who can like create good shots for himself and others and that's a part of why steph curry's offensive rpm and all that stuff is so high is because there's never been a theory of the second unit offensively and that's a part of why the warriors are where they are in terms of record that they needed this sort of a supernatural steph curry season to be middle of the road and there was low-hanging fruit you could get into like the alan smile geach part of this that they're that they didn't offload him that they had to that they spent all this money on kelly Oubre so they couldn't like fill out the roster with competent basketball players so that in the in the year of covid they couldn't they couldn't like field competitive lineups and I, I think that while it is not a uniformly bad job it is a mostly bad job for sure yeah and that the wiseman pick is uh doesn't look too good i mean that that is a possible franchise killer and maybe wiseman would have looked better if he hadn't had the knee issue uh and some of the other injuries that he'd had but also to pick someone who i mean wiseman torpedoed their season this season in a way that lamella or even anthony edwards would not have because the center is the center like you you, you can't get around your center and, being and bad, if you're, and like if you're, and if you're wing, putting the edict yeah. on on coaches that you have to play this dude that you have to play him yeah. with the starters i mean if wiseman was playing 15 20 minutes a game with the reserves then it would be a different story yeah so uh, you convinced me i'm gonna go with myers one arturis two and uh, i guess i'll go tommy shepherd number three. Oh, david griffin yeah, i forgot ahead, to mention sorry. part of why i have arturis number one is also that i think he hired the wrong coach in billy donovan yeah no I, 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 all that comes to mind and, and myers you know did a few good things i mean the Ubre thing i think he would have fit in great if clay had been healthy and they pretty sure they had agreed to that beforehand um you know, David Griffin, other than that Drew Holiday trade, hard to point to anything that he's done well so far this year. We'll see how Kyra Lewis works out. But also another guy who kind of, I mean, all right, is he the replacement for Lonzo Ball? Uh you know they got point zion now like lewis is pretty small he's not going to be a quality defender so how does he fit him with zion that's a question even if lewis has had a few moments here overall and yeah monty mcnair just not moving Rashawn holmes or harrison barnes at the deadline and didn't really seem like they tried that hard obviously they got halberton and they did a good job to kind of convince him to apparently want to be there and somehow to convince all these other teams to not take him even though he was the best player on the board um I have so I have two others that I think weren't mentioned in different parts of it. So one is Kevin Pritchard because if they if he hired a coach that is so toxic that it basically like kind of ended up partially nuking their season. We don't know that for sure. I just wanted to say like it's a signpost. We'll have to see where that goes, and a lot of that is behind the scenes. I didn't think that Pritchard did a terrible job in everything else. 
Um, not that the, he had a ton to do. Um, the Justin Holiday contract is totally fine. And then the other one, we're not going to get to fully evaluate this yet. And it's another one of those signposts, and I do this a lot, is Rob Polinka. Because Rob Polinka had very few arrows in his quiver in terms of ways to make the reigning champions better or at least retain the players that they had and the decision to use those to get to trade for Dennis Schroeder and to sign Montrez Harrell and I guess you could say to sign Marcus Ola to sign Andre Drummond and all these other guys and Wes Matthews if those don't work out if those are a part of why if the Lakers fail and if those are a part of it then that is a pretty significant failure from an executive for a team that the only team that we think has two top five top ten players you know like that has the players in that group. And LeBron, of course, has a narrow window. Now, there are other reasons, especially LeBron's high ankle sprain, that things could not work out. But the Lakers have a very, they have a very specific margin for error. And if he got those things wrong, like I think he did, that is a huge mistake. Now, nothing to, to add there. And we'll see. Certainly, if they lose in the play-in or they or i mean to have them get the seventh seed like yeah lebron and ad missed some time to be sure but uh and they this it's worth noting too that this team stayed afloat reasonably well without those guys and it was really once ad came back and was working back in that they really started to struggle again but yeah i didn't like the fit of schroeder and harold that much in the postseason they were supposed to be re- to really help them in the regular season i'm not sure how well that's worked out the drummond acquisition to replace mark Gasol not sure if that's going to be a good idea yeah there there this one could get higher Neil O'Shea I really liked what they did in the offseason personally but it hasn't worked out incredibly well either okay that'll do it here thanks so much for joining us don't forget about that mailing list you, you remember that uh, about two and a half hours ago at the start of the show right uh, nateduncanmba.com slash free you can get all of our picks here you can get danny's remaining schedule book as well as as we go into this last week of the season and get weekly updates from us here thanks so much for listening and keep your eyes peered as as well for doing a free nba cast we're doing the one tomorrow last one that we're doing for the nba at least as of now which is uh bucks at spurs uh, right thank you 8 30 eastern 5 30 pacific yeah so you can get that on nba league pass and then at some point in the next week or so and then in the play-in in the playoffs we're going to be doing those live shows on hot mic where it'll sync up for you it's really pretty awesome software you can download the app and check that out but Keep your eyes peeled on Twitter for more on that. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.